episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 18th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, taking us on a cooking tangent. Uh, caffeine rage? On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games we have played over the last couple of weeks. We're going to have a quick detour to talk about Microsoft's PC Game Pass. Mobile games are losing to video in the battle for users' time. 83% of gamers potentially are interested in streaming services. Square Enix has no idea how many parts Final Fantasy VII Remake will have. We'll have our weekly community corner with something submitted by Jim3535 that he thought was interesting from E3. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Had a bit of a computer misadventure today, but... Eh. Yeah, you teased me with the story, like, yeah. 15 minutes ago, so... And you've been, trying to, fi- story. You've been uh, trying to figure out what it is, right? <laughs> well, I did for a minute, and then you started talking about cooking stuff, and we talked about things that Amazon tried to sell us that we had already purchased, so... I, I got a little sidetracked. But now I'm excited to hear the story. Okay, so I had... Uh, some time to kill today while waiting for UPS, speaking of Amazon, to drop off something uh, for me. Uh, and I was uh, wanting to ship back a box and not have to go you know, a good half an hour on my way the next time I'm in town to be able to do so. So, you know, I was, was sitting there camping the UPS guy, you know, like he was a spawn in, in World of Warcraft, right? Right. Okay. So, uh, while I was sitting there, I'm, I was sitting at my window, which is next to the, well, the window in my living room and next to my computer. And I was thinking, you know, it's been a while since I cleaned this. So I pulled the top filter off and it was only slightly filthy. I mean, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was uh, going to be, but I decided, you know, I'll get out the compressed air while I'm waiting and. I won't take it outside because it's been raining on and off, so I don't want to, you know, get caught in the rain with my computer, right? Right. But I'll at least knock some of the dust out of it and, you know, vacuum it up. So, uh, take the compressed air, uh, spray it inside, so knock a good chunk of the dust off. Uh, take the fan off the uh, uh, the CPU cooler, uh, cl- uh, give that a good blast, because uh, the way my CPU cooler is set up, that it uh, has a fan that pushes the air through it and uh it could get a a little bit caked on uh, between the fan and the cpu cooler uh uh, ran the vacuum uh uh, cleaned off the side cleaned the top filter cleaned the bottom filter uh that's under the uh, power supply and uh put it back together and didn't really think much about it continue to camp out ups while uh uh, chattering away on my phone and uh just you know yeah waiting and waiting and waiting so ups shows up i hand off my package i get my box of socks and no, i'm not joking i bought socks and you know yeah that makes you smile right indeed i approve of your sock purchase uh and uh turn on the computer and uh go in the uh the kitchen to go grab a quick bite because you know i was sitting there for a few hours uh waiting and you know i didn't really think anything of it well uh 
poked around online for a bit, decided to fire Forza, and I noticed my uh, FPS was way down, and I was getting some thermal throttling, and I thought, did I screw up something in the computer? And, you know, I felt behind the computer where the air comes out of it, and it was scorching hot. <laughs> uh-huh. I thought, oh, that's not good. Uh, quickly shut down everything, and I pull off the side case. Care to guess what I did? Um, left a cl- some something in it. No, 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 no. I put everything back correctly, uh, or semi correctly. What I did? Did you unplug the fan no. by accident? No, no, no. This is no. even better. All right. Uh, the way okay. my CPU cooler is set up is that the fan snaps onto it. All right. Well. All right. As long as it snaps on, it's uh, facing the right direction. Well, I rotated the fan uh, ninety de- or one hundred eighty degrees. Sorry, uh, so that instead of the wires kind of going down to the bottom and looping back yeah. up onto the uh, motherboards uh, to plug into the power supply. Uh, they uh, were uh, hanging around the top, and the giant-ass fan on the top of the computer sucked up the uh, the wires. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and because I turned on the computer and I left it, it took a, a, you know, a few seconds for that fan to uh, you know, kick on and uh, come to speed. It got them, and it kind of stuck. It didn't break anything, thankfully, and the CPU fan was still running, but it was cutting a major portion of the air supply being drawn up through the bottom of the computer and uh, ejecting heat. So, yeah. uh, I opened up the side. It's just like, okay, did I, like, unplug the CPU? Oh! (laughs) It had grabbed it and twisted it and twisted it and twisted it, and you know how, like, whenever you take on and off your headset too many times, and it gets that you know, kink in it that doubles back on itself that that twist. Yeah. It was like that up into the top of the computer and around the blade of the fan and back down. And thankfully the uh, fan was a damage as well. And it was kind of, you know, chilling out there because it was a low C or low uh, RPM fan, but <laughs> it just, you know, draws a lot of air just by sheer size of it. But <laughs> it's like, Oh, and then I realized what I did. Oh, Oh, so, yeah, I, I took the reader apart twice today. <laughs> nice. Oh, it was just uh, one of those things, right? Thankfully, I didn't break anything. But, yeah, <laughs> that was a dumb moment. It happens. I had something similar happen once. Uh, my CPU fan grabbed, uh, I don't remember, a, a loose, like a cable that came loose from my my management back when I used to be way worse about actually managing cables properly was it you know zip ties and routing things properly and all that jazz. Oh, uh, the, well, the backside of the motherboard is, uh, looks like a spaghetti factory or like I threw spaghetti on the side of the, the case, but uh, yeah, well, I mean, mine's not beautiful, but it's functional, you know. But I heard I turned on the, my computer, I heard, and it like was touching the fan, and it you know the fan was spinning on the cable and then it grabbed it and it just stopped everything <laughs> again you know thankfully it didn't break the cpu fan although i had a replacement at the time but it you know it didn't break it well so this I just is turned it off and pulled it apart and managed my cables better mm-hmm. i mean this is the second cpu fan this computer's had the first one actually seized on me 
which was, you know, all sorts of fun. Yeah. Just, you know, right out of the blue. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, <laughs> I thought it was, you know, a good enough story to at least talk about. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Um, I see that you ha- have not yet, unless you just did it. Copy, yeah, copied your games into the list. So oh. would you like me to start while you do that? Oh, sorry, I completely forgot about that because we got chattering away. Yeah, you get. Uh, uh, oh, do we want to go back and forth on uh, the uh, Xbox Game Pass as a whole first? Um, I figured we would do it maybe. Okay. Last, because I assume we'll talk about Forza at, at the same time. All right. Like at the end. Um. So yeah, I had three games uh, this week. First on my list is Plague Inc. So we've talked about Pandemic a couple of times uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, And this is kind of the opposite of that. You play as an evolving disease. There's a bunch of different kinds of diseases. Bacteria, virus, um, fungus. There's some more sort of exotic stuff like a prion, which is something that evolves within the brain. Um, there's a parasite and then there's, there's a few other things too. They have like some fun, like zombies. They've got the virus from planet of the apes. Um, yeah, which actually changes the game, doesn't it? Yeah. Both of those change the game. Cause then there's like military resistance you have to deal with on top of, you know, the normal, like searching for a cure for the disease and things like that. But um, each of the different ones changes the game to some extent for all of the sort of regular or standard uh, disease types. They each have pros and cons. For example, the virus uh, mutates random um, symptoms rapidly. So you won't have to necessarily spend a lot of your own DNA points that you get from infecting people on your disease, but it could wind up becoming really lethal really early which means that you could either kill off the everyone infected before you get the world or you make it scary enough that they research uh the planet researches a cure really quickly and that's i mean that's the goal like whichever disease type you pick you um you have to wipe out every last single human being on the planet um there's a bunch of different strategies for it and as the difficulty level rises you have to sort of take on sort of a hybrid strategy for the most part on normal um you can just lay low make your disease really infectious but don't give it any deadly symptoms that make it so that it's very unlikely to be noticed infect all or most of the world's population and then sort of flip the switch and start um, evolving your disease to have very deadly symptoms like tumors organ failure Uh, Things like that that kill people rapidly. You wipe out the planet. But as difficulty increases, your disease is much more likely to be noticed, even if you start in a third world country and don't have any noticeable symptoms. Like no fever, no rash, no anything like that that helps to increase infectivity. So you have to kind of kill as you go. Very difficult. But, I mean, the game is a lot of fun. It's it's fairly simple. I'm, I'm playing it on my phone. You can get it for, I believe, console and I think also on PC yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's on Steam. It's on Steam or not. Okay. Yeah. Um, the mobile version, you can download it for free and you sort of unlock things via progression. So you start as a bacteria, then you unlock virus, then fungus, and so on. And you, you have to win 
um, a normal difficulty game to unlock the next disease or just type. pay to unlock everything. You can also pay to unlock everything. Um, there's challenges, so you get a specific set of circumstances. And some things make it easier, some make it harder, some sort of do a little bit of both. For example, uh, the, their most recent, I think it's their most recent update, uh, included the anti-vax movement and <laughs> like science deniers. So you uh, have a much easier chance, uh, or I think it's research takes a penalty if you play in that one. So it sort of helps you out. Um, but then there's ones that make it where the, like, the researchers are like super smart or there's one where that it's like all borders are closed. There's one that makes it... So starting your disease in certain um, countries is more difficult than others. For example, it's, it, it's really hard to start in a first world country with um, high quality health care. Like most European countries, Australia, Canada, uh, have a hard time starting with a disease there because it's hard to infect new people because generally they're healthier and those places have health care um but on the flip side starting your disease out in you know like bolivia or somewhere in africa it can also be difficult because uh because of poor health care and things like that your people might die faster so you have to pick sort of the right area to start. In certain scenarios, change conditions that make it more advantageous. Well, simple. You pick the start. United States so that you can pick on a lot of poor people. The United States is listed as having high-quality health care, but it, it Or if you're rich really, enough. If you're rich enough, it does, yeah. But, uh, what like, sort of the best places to start are either India or China. You have access to a, a huge continent with uh, roughly half of the world's population on the Asian and European continent, and you can get most of those people via land transmission. You can uh, have your disease, for example, migrate through birds or um, livestock, uh, insects, things like that. Like These are all things that you can kind of evolve it into. You get points for infecting people. Occasionally, you get random points just out of the blue. They're just called like DNA point boosts, and you get those sometimes they're your main source of uh, DNA points at the beginning of the game. But once you start infecting people, your DNA levels skyrocket and you can sort of craft your disease, however you want it to be. And like I said, viruses have like a really high chance of mutating. I believe it's fungus has a very low chance of mutating. Um, but you know, each of the diseases have their pros and cons. It's a very fun game. Um, there's lots of, fun little references to stuff in there. Some of them are pretty dated at this point. Like there's a joke that makes fun of um, Notch selling Minecraft to Microsoft. And that's from several years ago. Yeah. Um, it's like S Swedish miner rescued by Microsoft or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, rescued. No Swedish man rescued from mine by Microsoft with piles of cash or <laughs> something like that. Um, there's other jokes. There's stuff that pokes at Brexit in there. Um, there's references to some other games. For example, the Rio Olympics, which I can't remember what game it was, but it's a, a, a PlayStation. Maybe it was on PC too, but it's a zombie game that's come out in the last few years that happens at the Rio Olympics. Um, there's a reference to that. There's some other stuff in there too. Um, but it's it's just generally a lot of fun. It's not very expensive to buy the whole, like everything on mobile. It's something like, I want to say like 10 bucks and you get everything. 
and you can still you can't get all of the challenges if you play it for free it only gives you access to like i think seven or eight challenges um but you can unlock all of the diseases as you play. Wow, there's a lot of uh, crappy Flash and mobile games there. Uh, zombies at the Rio Olympics. <laughs> Some of these are obviously just ripoffs of uh, uh, Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. Uh, Some looks like they're even grabbing the sprite art, which is a big no-no. There's fun little achievements you can get to. Like, there's that it typically references the things like there's one called the walking dead and it's if you get what is it insomnia plus brain hemorrhaging or something like that um and if you are able to unlock those achievements even you know re-unlocking them while you're playing and you get like bonuses like that one really limits research progression for the cure but it's a lot of fun um, it, it can definitely feel very morbid at times though. Like they have this very, the, they added like these little kids singing like ring around the Rosie in a very like, I don't know, creepy way. It's hard to quite explain, but, um, you know, the first time I heard that, cause I didn't remember that from before. I'm sure it was there, <laughs> but I didn't remember it from before. And I was actually playing with headphones and oh. I, I was like, <laughs> ring around the Rosie. And I'm like, Oh my fuck. What? Oh Jesus. Um, oh, that's, there's a few, speaking of that, like, I, that song has to do with, like, the Black Plague. That's one of the scenarios. Well, you get well there's the, some the people plague. that say that's a myth. Some, uh, that, uh, I've seen it actually reported both ways online. That, uh, it's gotcha. a myth, and then the, there's some people, uh, saying that, oh, no, it really was about the Black Plague or the Black Death. Uh, and it's sort of like Einstein quotes. Everybody quotes Einstein, even though, Yo, I, he never said that. Yeah. But it still spreads because Einstein. That's fair. I've That's one of those things I've heard like my whole life, but that doesn't, obviously that doesn't mean that it's, you know, couldn't have been one of those urban legend myth things that has been created. And I bet if you Googled it, you would find someone that debunked it mm-hmm. and then someone that also proved it. Yeah. But regardless, like, you know, I think at least in popular culture, most people would be able to associate those two things, Ring Around the Rosie and the Black Plague. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, but regardless, hearing it is like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, this is creepy. And then after I, a couple of times, it just kind of gets annoying, honestly. But the, that first time, it got me. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, which I know that's not a good source, uh, Urban uh, Legend says that it is about uh, the plague, uh, uh, specifically the Great Plague of London, not the Black Death. Or... But, or or a particular portion of the Black Death, sorry. But folklorists uh, reject this idea and then substitute it with their own. <laughs> nice. Good good pull there. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, Plague Inc. Fun game. Definitely worth a, a play or a try if you've never played it before. So should I go with my first one and give you a break or do you want to go your second one and have a break? Uh, I don't care. Uh, let's go um, with your second one, and then uh, you can have a break because I imagine we'll have a lot of back and forth on uh, the ne- on our last ones. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I played Mercury Fallen this week as well. This game we have both played it before, but uh, you know it's an early access. Yeah, game. Yeah, I played it a lot I- earlier, so I haven't actually gone back to it yet. Yeah. Um. So I went back to it this past week. They've changed 
a bunch of things. The general flow of the game is still the same. It's still sort of you set stuff, you give people roles, they go and, and do them based on their priorities. Um, the, the two big things that they've changed that I've really noticed, well, the three big things that they've changed that I've noticed is, uh, number one, the starting, or really the colonist management is different. So you start with colonists and a robot with random stats. Um, I, I started several games just to see what the spread was and you always get somebody, at least one person between your three colonists and robot. So at least what, you know, one of them can do building and one of them can do mining and one of them can do uh, crafting. Um, but it's kind of hit or miss. Oh, and one of them can always grow food, but it's kind of hit or miss. Cause you might, sometimes you get to start with several people who can do mining. So your initial progression when you're first expanding and collecting things um, can go faster, or maybe you only get one person who can haul, or maybe the same person that is, you know, the only person you have that can mine is also the only person you have that can haul. Like those kinds of starts could be frustrating. Um, it would definitely make it much more difficult to progress because then you wind up with shit littered all over the place. And the engineer, for example, which is the crafter person, can still go and like get those things, but it wastes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And then that race wastes other resources like food. And yeah, especially like so, at the beginning of a, a colony management game like this. Yeah. Uh, later on, as you hit like a certain point, usually with these order games, you get kind of this point where it's not as important to micromanage everything and get yeah you know, the flow down correctly. But early on, it's very important. Yeah, and. Um, I like the previous system. I mean, everyone's stats still exist, but in the previous system, everybody could do everything, and just certain people with better stats would be better at doing stuff. But now, certain you have to have your stats at a certain level before you can even do stuff. So, oh, I'm not sure if I like it, that. It's really weird. Like, I had one of my starts where that the same guy who was the miner was also the only hauler, but his movement stat was really low. He just happened to have like enough strength or something to actually qualify as a hauler. So he was actually the worst person to haul stuff because he was the slowest. But he was the only one that was able to. But he was the only one that could because he was the only one that his strength stat was high enough. Or whichever the stat is that does hauling. I don't remember exactly. There's like strength, athletics, and something else. Yeah, there's Intelligence. A, there's a mod for RimWorld that I think is the way I prefer uh, it to handle uh, this sort of thing. It's called uh, Everyone's Capable because most uh, of the building uh, uh, colony uh, management genre, it follows that sort of thing where uh, if you're not above a certain threshold, either you cannot do it or the person just you know, flat out refuses. And if it's not stat based, it's like a trait based thing. Well, yeah. the bug that I pretty much always run from RimWorld. It makes it so that it changes from can't to hate. So if you force them to do it, they'll do it, but it starts inflicting a stacking mood debuff. So it makes it very likely that they'll flip out if you keep forcing them to do something. So it enables the ability to, you know, in case of an emergency, have the person that, you know, absolutely hates doctoring to, you know, go patch up uh, your good doctor. But he'll be grumpy about it. Yeah. And also because, you know, he hated that, he likely is very unskilled on it. But it's better than having someone bleed out 
or you know having a someone that is uh, that hates hauling uh, go do some hauling and uh, they'll just grumble about it and if you keep them doing it they'll eventually have a mental break which can be rather bad <laughs> because it yeah. uh, stacks so quickly it's pretty much always a catastrophic break which is the in the range of uh, they uh, completely snap and they uh, turn into a wild man or they go start punching people or they decide to just you know fuck the crafting room in particular and go break everything in it cool I guess <laughs> um, I, I wish that everyone could haul like it's stupid to me that they can't because everyone has inventory and everyone's inventory is is more than whatever it takes to haul stuff like if you're going to engineer to to the machines to do it I think that crafting, like everyone, or not crafting, hauling, everyone should be able to do that. And just if you have a low speed stat, you walk a little slower, whatever. Um, but also now everyone can only have three tasks that they're set up to do. Whereas before, everything was on a hierarchy Ooh. and you would set some stuff to really high priority and some stuff to lower. But now everybody can only do three tasks. Oh, I so really don't like do, that. You have to do more micromanagement always, because even when you get a later colony, you just you need to make sure you have several people that are doing just generally everything. So you have to set everyone up. I mean, once you do, you can just let you know leave it be, but you still have to check everyone every time you get someone new. So those two things I think were were uh, poor. I'm okay with the random stat start. That's fine, but. Otherwise, it is it possible sucks. to re-roll without completely restarting the game? No. See, so, yeah, you, you have to, re- you have to like start that. a new game every time. There is equipment now that can boost their stats, and you get a few small pieces of starting equipment. So, with your people, your your initial colony, you can give them equipment to boost their stats and sort of make them a little more versatile. Sort of like an exoskeleton that boosts strength, for example, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but even that, sometimes if you get a really bad roll, that's not enough. And so it's like, well, I could, I guess, give it to the one guy to make him even stronger, but I don't need to do that. There's better equipment you can research later that gives larger boosts, but, um, and that's something actually in general, there's, you can get equipment for everything that does different stuff. Like you can get equipment that boosts power generator output or, uh, efficiency for fuel use. You can get things that boost efficiency for, um, each of the crafting machines, the water pumps, you can get mods that make them pump water faster, or you can increase the chance that you get like double items off of a production or reduce the chance of failing a, a crafting attempt, things like that, that you can plug into all the machines. Um, but, you know, I mean, that stuff's neat. It's a good little addition, but, you know, that hasn't really changed too much crafting and, and setting up uh, the stuff to your different crafting runs of things. Um, they changed the research system around a little bit. Uh, they basically broke it out more and made most of the categories smaller. Like there's also a couple of things that it makes you research first that gives you access to all of the basic stuff a lot faster. So you don't have to pick and choose like, well, I mean, this thing over here needs water, but in order to actually get water, I have to research like this thing down here. But then in order to get, like, you know, because it was a really weird web initially. But yeah, now there's, like, it, two. Yeah, if I recall correctly, you didn't get food generation for quite a while. So everybody was eating raw uh, potatoes like you know, Matt Damon. 
Yeah. But now you can, um, there's, I think, two things that you have to research first before you can research everything else. And that gives you all the basic stuff, um, access to water and food and power production and, like, all the basic equipment materials. So then after that, the tree's still a little bit spread out. And there's some of that, you know, X is dependent on Y, but it's not quite as bad because you have all the basic stuff a lot faster. And then they've added surface exploration and mining. So there's a new research branch that has to do with surface vessels or, or surface craft. Um, they're all drones, so you don't send any humans topside. But there's uh, two different exploration and two different mining drones. And it's basically a hover version and a, a wheeled or tracked version. And they each have pros and cons. The hover versions are faster. They can go across water. So you can explore the map a lot faster. You can get to certain uh, resources that are, for example, like on an island at the middle of a lake or the ocean. But they have smaller carrying capacities. Uh, and the hover, like, scout drone has uh, worse sensor equipment. Um, so the one on wheels can scan faster and see farther. Um, but those are really nice. They're, they've added additional resources that you have to mine some things can only be gathered from the surface and then some of the stuff that you get from below which you can run out of if you mine the entire map um, then you'll run out of resources Uh, you can now get all of those from the surface so eventually at some point it becomes a surface game and i'm not quite sure what your people will do on the bottom side Uh, they've added a few more yeah, they've added a few more small lore and story stuff uh, that, you know, further, like, logs to go through and check out and stuff like that. But it's still not very deep, as far as I can tell. So, um, I still like it. Uh, it's Starting a colony is a lot more frustrating. But, you know, like you said, like, once you hit a certain point, you don't really have to manage it anymore. And you get sort of the right number of colonists and the right number of... Uh, robots and the right number of surface stuff and then it's just kind of like okay i need to go check on this and do that and explore that and set up these things i want to you know expand my facility and build something else so i i I like it i still like it um i i I talked quite positively about it when i'm when i discussed it last time i think maybe about a year ago actually it was yeah i think it was summer yeah i think it was shortly after i did my video on it yeah so I still enjoy it. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I would pay 20 bucks for it. That's the thing. Like, yeah, I got that's... a review copy of this game. Yeah, it's a pretty steep price for it. I don't think it's worth 20 bucks yet because there's still not a lot to do on the end. Like, there's no lose state, really. I mean, I guess you could just not do anything and let all of your colonists starve to death. Yeah, that's but... that, that was one of my complaints as well initially was... As long as you manage your food, everything else really doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm surprised that they don't have some sort of life support system yet. I don't recall that there was one. So, you know, I like it. It's, but it's closer to an idle game at this point that requires maybe a little extra management than your normal idle game would. But if it keeps plugging along, I think eventually it'll get there. It's got a good base. They've expanded on it. It just needs more expansion. Yeah, supposedly they're still planning a release sometime this year. I'm assuming full release. I'm looking at their store page. 
Let's see, land features, expanded technology tree, more crops and natural resources. I'm not sure what they've added. Alien artifacts, additional cloning options slash genetics. That could be interesting. That could make it so that, you know, you could take that guy that's absolutely worthless and splice him with, you know, a cat or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clones actually are super easy to make at this point. Some they sort were a little of bit trading more system before. as well. Uh, pl- uh, planet surface construction. That would be nice. I'd like to have uh, something uh, else. Sort of a multi-layer colony. Uh, additional story content and various surface exploration and uh, exploitation options. But it looks like they also say they'll most likely increase in price after early access. I, I think that's a hard pill to swallow at and I know it's unfair to compare it to RimWorld, but yeah, RimWorld's kind of in this position where it's like the tier below Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, RimWorld's still 35 bucks, so. But yeah, it's just tough to accept. Yeah. <clears throat> Mostly because so RimWorld that's... has a lot more meat on spoons, not just, yeah. The, the fact that it's a more mature game, but it started off with combat as well. It started off with more loose states. I don't think this game would be good for combat, but well, you can introduce other adversarial factors that are not combat well, to even, this style of game. Well, even just something like a disease that you have to deal with or something, you know, some sort of additional loose state. Yeah, you, I mean, there you can set somebody up as a doctor and you can create a medical facility, but it's back basically useless. Any injury or anything that anybody takes, they can just sleep and they heal in their sleep. So, I mean, you can heal faster if you have a med bay, but you don't really need one. Yeah, I compare that to how RimWorld handles it, where uh, for every injury you have and type of injury, you have a chance of getting an infection. And infection requires, uh, well, it doesn't require, but it's accelerated immunity if you treat it properly with a doctor and even more so if you use medicine and that's before you even start getting to mods where they add different uh, types of medicine so that you could give them antibiotics and that sort of thing to boost the, uh, the immune system and the immune system is based off the body parts of the person so hey that uh, kidney that that guy lost you know uh, like uh, two years ago to a random sniper shot well, that's going to impact your blood filtration, so you're kind of screwed. But your uh, colonists have a prisoner who has two perfectly functional kidneys right now. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've done that or anything. Well, sure. today. <laughs> but yeah, that is Mercury Fallen. I still like it, but I still don't think it's worth 20 bucks. Yeah, it sounds like they have a very overly inflated sense of worth on their game. Uh, So, shall I move on to my first game? Uh, I swapped my games around so that you would have a little bit of a break. So, I played two games off the Xbox Game Pass, and we'll talk about the Xbox Game Pass itself in a little bit. My first one is Opus Magnum, and no, I do not have that backwards. That's the name of the game. And you are an alchemist working for one of the great houses in a uh, city. Uh, I can't recall the name of the city. And the entire game is focused around building molecule chains 
with the, uh, various bits of machinery. And, well, I can sum up the game in pretty much, it's a Zactronics game. And if you played a Zactronics game, you know that it's a puzzle game that gets deviously complex and engaging, but also is very open-ended on its levels and allows you to kind of explore the game mechanics at your own pace. And that's what Magnum, or sorry, Opus Magnum, I keep wanting to use the proper term Magnum Opus because, yeah, that's a well-known phrase. But Opus Magnum, it has sort of the charm and the uh, uh, the the complexity that I really enjoyed with uh, Space Cam with a steampunk aesthetic about it plus a lot deeper storyline that I'm only just barely scratching the surface. I'm like a quarter of the way through chapter two after the alchemist that you play uh, graduated school uh, during the tutorial. But everything is handled by this really neat system of uh, uh, arms and uh, uh, railways and everything. And it turns each level into like a work of art. I'm actually going to drop a couple gifts into Discord for you. Because I want you to see this. This is a couple of my solutions for the various levels. And you'll see what I'm uh, okay. talking about when I say that every level, once you complete it, it feels like you're watching uh, a like a watch with its casing off. And just watching everything just tick around. So there's one. Uh, there's two. And all of these are able to be exported directly from the game. Oh, that's cool. I thought about trying this game, um, I'm, and I still intended to, but I haven't yet. Yeah, and uh, you're also I like this. Yeah, you also have the ability to kind of tailor it to how you feel. Like uh, you're kind of just given this wide open space and told, okay, you have these products that you uh, are, are introduced in the uh, uh, level, and you need to create this molecule chain. Here's your tools. Have at it. And you could build something incredibly complex, very Rube Goldbergian. You could do what I've been doing and just try to do it as fast as possible and damn the uh, cost. Or you could try to make something very small and compact or do something that's very cheap. And various uh, components have different costs associated with them and also, of course, uh, size. So one of, uh, the, one of the things I linked is a very compact uh, thing that makes a chain of uh, four uh, molecules that just drops it off. Oh, well, it's also very expensive because some of the parts in it. While some of the others, uh, actually, I saved four, but I... Uh, well, uh, one of them has this giant swinging arm that takes up a lot of space. Uh, here is another one that's really tiny that I'm going to have to probably figure out a way to put these in the show notes, but you can see what I'm talking about, how it turns each level into a, its own work of art. Yeah. And uh, everything is controlled uh, by essentially, well, uh, we've both done video editing software. Uh, every component of the uh, level is handled by its own track, essentially on a video editing software where you could drag and drop different commands to uh, 
control the arms to make it so that it swings stuff around or rotates it in place. There's not actually a good example of that because I typically try to maneuver things so that whenever something rotates uh, by just an arm moving, it's already in the proper orientation like you can see in the middle GIF. Yeah. You can see how it goes from a, a horizontal to a vertical rotation and it just gets finished off there. And there's various tools that you get uh, access to, uh, to that uh, promotes uh, different elements to the next element up. It uses the classical element system. So going from lead to gold uh, via tr uh, transmutation and the four classical uh, uh, elements, uh, earth, air, uh, fire, and water, plus salt and a couple uh, base metals. And that's it. And it sounds like a very simple game, but it gets devilishly complex very quickly. I mean, these are just, yep. This is uh, gifts out of chapter one. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just amazed at just how satisfying it is. Uh, I mean, this is, well, it's a Sactronics game. So uh, saying that, yeah, uh, it's comparable how Space Kim uh, is. It's the same developer, but uh, sitting back and watching everything uh, click into place and just watching it all uh, uh, in motion is just absolutely breathtaking. But it's a very simple game on the surface, but it turns itself into a very complex game. And even more so once you finish a, a level and then you have all the charts come up and see Okay, well, I did it sort of fast, but there's this big peak here that says that, you know, I could shave some uh, cycles off because it handles every tick of time as a cycle. And all the actions are normalized. So something rotating takes the same amount of time as something, uh, uh, an arm moving from uh, one position to another. So you start looking at your solution like, okay, how can I save time on this? Or how can I make it a little cheaper? How can I make it a little faster? And, you know, it's, you turn it kind of almost into your own game uh, on top of uh, the puzzle element that the game presents you. And this isn't even really scratching the surface of the story where uh, you're an alchemist in a great house in the city and there's warfare between the uh, multiple houses and there's intrigue going on and you're uh, talking with one of the ladies of the uh, of the house that you're employed by and going back and forth and it's kind of funny the uh, uh, well protagonist for lack of a better term uh, he's uh, has a very high opinion of himself <laughs> uh, so uh, he's uh talking about all the weapons he'll create and whenever open wars declared the one of the first things that you're told to do is okay go now go make some hair gel to make the general look fabulous when he gives a speech and you're like really hair gel <laughs> don't don't you want like a rocket or something <laughs> that's amazing i want to make hair gel well you can matter of fact i think the first gift i sent you no no the first gift is a hair product. So yeah, that's the hair gel. That's that. That's actually out of chapter two. Gotcha. But yeah, that's uh, 
Uh, Opus Magnum, a very short introduction to it, just because I haven't played enough of it where it gets deviously complex, but I could already see, you know, where it is, uh, you know, where it's going with it. But also the fact that, you know, it kind of just lets you do, you know, uh, you know, lets you learn at your own pace. It gives you the basic rules of the game. It sh- you're, you're told, okay, well, if you need to see uh, the elemental progression, there's the periodic chart, for lack of a better term. Uh, down there in the corner, and if you mouse over the different tools, it'll tell you what you do. Uh, some of them you can't really use on a particular level, like it requires Quicksilver to be able to catalyze the uh, transmutation. But outside of that, have fun. And also, just because it uh, at the end of every level you're able to export it as a GIF, you're able to share your solutions very easily. And, you know, show off well, this is how I did it in, you know, uh, uh, 67 cycles uh, with an area of 21 things to make hair gel. Yeah, this looks really interesting up my alley. I mean, you know, like I said, I was interested in trying it before. It was kind of just on my list of games to try mm-hmm. on Game Pass, but I, uh, I think I'll definitely put a little bit farther up the list, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's... A- like I said before, it's a Zachtronics puzzle game, so I knew what I was getting into before I even loaded it up. I knew of Opus Magnum, it's just I never really bought it because it never really went on a deep discount. And I absolutely love Zachtronics games, but I just tend to bounce off of them at some point because they start to get so complex that I put yeah. them down and I just don't pick them back up. I mean, that's a, a yo, that's not a slight on the on that type of game. That's a slight on me in a way because, you know, I have other things I need to focus on. I need to get more time with enter the gungeon. So I have to, you know, put, uh, messing around with, uh, Opus Magnum, uh, further back than I really want to, because yeah, but yeah, I, I would say, nice. I would say it's definitely worth a check out, especially if you get game pass. Well, Speaking of another game that we have played on Game Pass. Yeah, perhaps a little too much this last weekend. <laughs> we have gone ham on Forza Horizon 4. Yeah, um, which this is my first uh, real introduction to the uh, into the Forza series, let alone the Horizon series. And this is your introduction to the Horizon series, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. the Forza... Well, Forza Horizon 4, it's a open-world racing game where you have multiple disciplines of uh types well different disciplines of racing and you're kind of just after the very short campaign the first year you're just told okay now go do what you want yeah it takes maybe what four or five hours yeah you might do it less if you just like mainline through it i did a lot of side stuff unnecessarily just because i was like trying to complete everything that popped up because you wasn't sure if it would uh, cut it off, right? Well, I assumed it wouldn't cut it off, but I was just sort of getting the hang of things and exploring around. Well, and... I ended up uh, doing some of the uh, story stuff, especially the stuntman stuff, and that progressed me quite a bit because it was powered by your global influence. Yeah, I uh, did the, the stuntman stuff really early on, too. I completed it all the way. So I gotta go back and three-star it, but... Yeah, I actually Anyways. need to finish the very end of that, but... Uh, it, like I said, it's a sandbox racing game, so you're, it's kind of your own thing, where, okay, you want to focus on, uh, dirt racing? Fine. You want to go drift? 
Don't know why, but okay. Because it's amazing, that's why. Sure, right. I love drifting. I think it was Forza 3 that introduced, like, achievements for drifting, and that was at a time in my life when I was like, Xbox, gamer score, get it high. And I spent forever learning how to drift in the game, but it actually, like, I got good at it, and I liked it, and it it le- helped me learn how to, to drift a little bit better in real life, just because I actually understood some of the mechanics a little bit more. Like, that's, I, I mean, I've banged on before about how good a simulation Forza is. Yeah, well, this is not and, as good a uh, simulation because this is the arcade version of it. Right. It, it has a good spectrum, though. Like, if you're someone like me who comes from a, an ex, you know, you like the sim-heavy stuff, there's a decent amount of that in it. It took me a little bit to get it sort of the configuration down um, because there's, you know, your all the driver assists that you're used to if you play Forza or Gran Turismo or something like that. You know, traction control, analog brakes, stability control. But then there's some stuff with driving physics that you can adjust. And I think it's sort of how much that the that it helps you out just not have to deal, I think, with, like, uneven road surfaces and things like that. It just kind of will auto-correct a little bit for you. And turning that off and then messing with some of the other stuff to get it sort of down pat um, really helped. I eventually did. I, I, I had the simulation tire wear and damage on but yeah. when it comes to certain races like off-road races where you're doing jumps and going on and off the track a lot that actually made it extremely difficult because your car's taking damage in the race which i get it that's realistic but that takes it a little bit too far yeah, for me. and also some of the fun. off-road racing uh, has you plowing through stuff yeah which damages your car and slows you down the the damage doesn't get anywhere near as bad as it does in the other Forzas, because if you, you know, have a header with a barrier in any of the mainline Forza games, and you've got simulation damage and tire wear turned on, you just totaled your car. You're done. But in this, you know, you hit a tree at 180 miles an hour, and your car now steers really poorly and drives more slowly. Or it looks like a crinkled Coke can. Yeah. I've got cosmetic damage turned on. Yeah. But... Yeah, I do as well. But I mean, it, you know, that makes sense for the type of game that it is because you don't want someone, or you know, multiple people careening off road because the game lets you do that, crashing into a tree, and it's like, well, fuck, I guess I have to reset and go back to my house or the horizon like zone or whatever it is, the the festival zone, so that I can repair my car. But you know, from a from a gameplay perspective, it's it it can be very Forza. Uh, it took, like I said, it took me a little bit to dial it in, but it, it strikes an excellent balance between arcade and simulation. If you're someone like me who's very sim heavy and you want to make your game very sim like, but still enjoy a lot of the arcade qualities, yeah, and this they, is they did it well. Uh, about perfect for me, uh, where I'm more of a sim arcade guy. I like a little bit of sim, but I'm uh, not as big a car guy, so. Uh, I typically t- uh, lean more towards the arcade version of racing. So keeping uh, I think some that... of the stuff off uh, uh, hits about the sweet spot for me. Where I'm still able yeah. to sit down and tinker with stuff, but I have a larger margin of error. Yeah, I think that reflects in how we play, too. Like, um, you know, you're joking about... I mean, I know you don't like drifting, and, and you know, you're kind of picking on me with that. But it's like, drifting is extremely technical, 
and I like that, and you don't. And I, I enjoy the off-road racing, but you're like, I'm going to drive off-road everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, I'm just going to like get my like cool you know B or A class classic car. I mean, we could always go cruise uh, around. cruising. It's just we were doing uh, story stuff. Yeah, there's a well. We can talk about that in a minute, but I mean, there are there's lots of stuff to do, lots of stuff. But it doesn't feel like in the way that a lot of open world games feel, where it's like, let me just litter the map with shit to to fill it up. There's a really wide variety of events that I think can hit every player demographic. There's yeah, there, you know multiple types of yeah. There's of racing events. Well, well, not even just the events, but the sad stuff. The yeah, uh, the danger signs where it's uh, various jumps, uh, sometimes uh, almost puzzle-esque, trying to figure out how to approach them with to three-star them to get a certain amount of speed to hit them so you can flat far yeah. enough. And some uh, and, speed traps. and perhaps even the type of car, which we still need to test that. Yeah. There's uh, speed traps and speed zones, which sort of reward technical driving. Speed traps are, you know, it's a single speed camera. So you're trying to just careen past it as fast as you can. Yeah, damn what well, happens speed... after you go past that. Yeah, and then speed zones are you have to maintain <clears throat> a high average speed for a certain portion of road. So you have to be a little bit more careful with those. Yeah, which so. I've actually really enjoyed those, which is more of a technical drive, but still. Yeah, I like them too. Then there's the drift zones. Which you know score a certain amount of drift points within. The, I mean, I can hit one or two uh, stars in a drift zone. It's just I don't particularly enjoy it. Yeah. Um, there's the bonus boards, which reward exploration around the map. Essentially, the, and the bonus boards cover the fast travel boards and then the influence boards. Uh, the fast travel boards reduce the costs for fast tra- traveling around the island, and if you hit them all, fast travels free. And then the influence boards are part of the level up system. And they give you points going towards your level yeah, up. And there's, like, I think everything you do contributes to your level up. Yeah, uh, everything you do contributes, but uh, it's a split system. So you have your global influence, uh, which the influence board, that's what that gives, as well as the exploration. And the yeah. uh, bonus boards are in 1, 3, and 5,000 uh, denominations. 1,000 typically is just anywhere, you know? Uh, side yeah. of the road, off in the middle of a field, that sort of thing. 3,000 is usually a little bit more tricky in there. And it seems like 3,000 is also the the least uh, uh, populated. But Yeah, the 3,000s are, are maybe like hidden away a little bit, but it's not like you have to do something crazy to get to them most of the time. It's just like you, you think, hmm, I wonder if there's something underneath that bridge over there. And it, it's probably a 3,000. Either 1,000 or 3,000, because also if you go close enough, it'll trigger, you know, it'll show you on the map. Yeah, and then the 5,000-point bonus boards are almost entirely something skill or specific card. Or hidden out in the middle of absolute nowhere. Yeah, so there was a couple of 5,000s I grabbed today. I was playing with King, uh, and one of them we had to, like, figure out the right speed to jump off of a danger ramp going almost the wrong direction to hit it and like you know too slow you would hit the house that it was on top of too fast you'd completely overshoot it yeah there was a couple so like that out. there was a 5000 that I hit that it required a essentially a very compact car any car yeah. that was of a normal size it was too small to, or too uh, too small a place to get into so you had to swap over to like the P50 peel 
Yeah, I found one like that. Uh, I don't have that specific car, but I had another very small car that's kind of like um, like a sand or a dune buggy. It's very compact, and it was just small enough to fit. My car actually got stuck, and I had to warp back out to the road when I crammed it in there. But it was it was just small enough to get that bonus board. I'm sure there's more than one like that, but there's 200 in total. I think it's 150. Um, yeah, 150 influence boards uh, spread across the three denominations and 50 uh, quick travel boards, which I've yeah. gotten over half the quick travel now. Yeah, I, I also have more than half. I think it's like 4,600 credits for me to fast travel. Yeah, I think I'm right at 4,000 <clears> or so. Yeah, but so there's there's those all of those things on the world for you to just do. Um, there's all of the different racing events. There's the story-related events. These are challenges and then specific races that you get as you go through sort of the campaign portion. Yeah, well, and they're like split. crazy races. And there's also and it's also split across several different storylines. Like you have the world's fastest rentals that you buy into, and as you progress through the story of it, you're getting more and more daily income from it. There's Aisha's uh, taxi surface, which is kind of an offshoot of the world's fastest rentals, where you're driving the world's fastest. Uh, tack or sorry, the fastest taxi in Britain. <laughs> uh, this takes place in Britain, by the way. Yeah, uh, there's one that's actually or not a taxi, but like a challenge. There's one called British Racing Green that is uh, like a you drive classic British cars and then their modern variants, and it's like a little documentary mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so I've only done one of those so far. I need to go back and do more of those. I haven't completed them. I've done a few of them. Uh, there's the Car there's... Files, which is my absolute favorite. Year. Uh, employed by this German insurance guy and he's trying to figure out various claims if they're true or not to his insurance company uh, like uh, can a Volkswagen bus fly if it hits a certain speed and maintains it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and some of them are are that one's actually pretty tame like you might be thinking like oh that's silly they get way sillier uh, uh like the Robin yeah um then there's drifting ones, which uh, that's I have three starred all of the drift. Yeah, how hard is it to one star those just for me to get through them? It's pretty easy to one star them. They're all I think fairly generous. There's I think one that's tough that you have to use like a, an all wheel drive car to do drifting. That one's a little bit hard, but all the rest of them are fairly easy to one star. Then there's the stunt challenges that you're like a stuntman for a movie and so you're doing you know movie type stunts yeah that, one, uh, and, that one's the first one you get yeah, and uh, also of some of them are uh references to famous movie uh chases or car scenes in movies yeah it and also if you've ever watched top gear grand tour fifth wheel like those types of shows there's lots of references and jokes to that stuff there's also lots of references to, you know, famous car chases, like you just said. But they come at other places than just the stunt challenges. Yeah, and also um, then the game does uh, get off uh, and uh, go a little crazy at times during the showcase uh, events. Uh, one yeah, pops up uh, during each of the four seasons in your initial uh, year, and then there's a couple more that shows up. Uh, like, uh, you're racing a hovercraft. Yeah, that one was fun. Um, the Flying you Scotsman. Like a- uh, you race it, the train. Yeah, that was my kid's favorite, because obviously racing a train. Uh, glad I told you to <laughs> make sure he's around. 
Yeah, he's actually watched me do all of the showcase events. He really likes those because they're—I mean—they're silly. They're all uh, the motorcycle or the dirt bike one isn't very silly. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. I mean, it was uh, still cool, but that yeah. was not very silly. Uh, the Halo yeah, one, the hovercraft is silly. The Halo, yeah, the Halo one is pretty. I, fun. I still have one um, more where I have to race the jet that I haven't done yet. Oh, racing the jet was a a blast. They they do some fun stuff with the jet too. I mean, they do fun stuff with all of them, but. I I won the jet one by less than one tenth of a second, like it was crazy. I won it by like two one thousandths. That one was was hard, uh, and I also wound up beating the flying Scotsman by less than a second. Yeah, so you don't even have to compl- uh, beat them; you just have to complete them. Yeah, but I wanted to win all of them. Um. And then the the Halo one, you there's not actually like there's not a fail condition. Technically, I failed because the countdown hit zero. But yeah, but it still gives you like first place or whatever, even if that happens. So, and there's also uh, some weird cars. Like I have a Warthog, I have the POP fifty, I have an Isetta, I have a Reliant Robin, <laughs> uh, Super V. I love the ver- I love the variety of cars in this game. Oh, there's just like so if you're not many. a if you're not a car person, a lot of what Rage just said would like make not make any sense to well, you. Well, I also picked but they my have weird ass cars I've had. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff that you would expect, like Ferraris, Lamborghinis, other super and hyper cars. They've got a lot of stuff that's sort of like iconic, like you think like variations of the Mustang, the Corvette, the Camaro, you know, things like that. But they've also got just like a lot of normal ass cars, which I really enjoy, like a Ford Bronco. Or the Ford Crown Victoria police car. Um, like a Dodge Ram. Like just a bunch of like normal ass cars. And I think that's fun. Because it lets you take something that you feel like you could possess. And then do some cool stuff with it. Uh, then there's a lot of... And also, some well, obscure and also an interesting thing is how they do the Dravatars. Where uh, you could take pretty much any car into a race and be competitive with it because what it does is it takes your car, your cl- uh, your class, and your uh, uh, your uh, setup, and it compares that with the Dravatars and puts them in similar cars. So if you take yeah. a little crappy car out, you know, you're going to be putting around the track with a bunch of other guys in similar uh, similarly stacked cars. Yeah. That that in combination with their sort of I, it's called blueprints, but it's basically you create your own race. I love that because it doesn't really limit you. Like for example, if you pull up to an event and it's like a dirt event, you can go with like what it's got is like the default recommended, but you can also just do anything you want, and it counts you as completing that event. So you can show up to like a dirt event and set it to be like uh, classic muscle cars, and then you can have all of these American muscle cars like you know, sliding and drifting around a, a messy dirt track. And that can be fun, but, you know, you can use that to, to do anything that you want. So if you really want to, like with me, I've got a, a set of like, you know, top for each and every class that I that I have, but I also like to just putter around in like B class and A class cars, which are, you know, sort of your middle of the road. Uh, maybe they excel at one area or they're just kind of a general all-rounder, but they're not too crazy. And I, I found that to be a lot of fun because that's, you know, again, a lot of technical driving and it's not quite so much about how fast you can go. Um, 
And so, you know, I can bring those cars in and I can set up special, specific, weird events. Like, one thing I like to do is to do, like, a um, a bootleggers type thing. And I will do, like, the classic muscle car on dirt tracks. And, you know, be like a, a moonshiner or a rum runner or whatever. Like, just kind of in my head. And I just have fun with that. Um, and, and it lets you do that. And as far as I can tell, the rewards are the same. Like, it bases a lot of the actual rewards that you get from doing the races, like your credit and experience rewards, off of your difficulty settings. Well, so there's uh, like a baseline it's, for each it's race. A ratio of your difficulty settings and distance. So some of the farm races that, you know, just are there to generate credits uh, go up and down the highway. Uh, so, you know, you're pretty much able to hit top speed and just stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, what I have like my uh, one of my Ferrari set up to do is just uh, as fast as I can top end speed there's only like one place I have to let off the throttle uh, not counting the ends where you go around a, a, like a hairpin turn and then just go like 270 miles an hour down the highway yeah um there is speaking of of money and stuff though. Let's yeah. talk a little yeah, bit about yeah, the, yeah, the bugbear is the progression system. It's really weird. Uh, most of it a huge chunk of it is random. There are for there are levels and or well not like your drivatar level. As it goes up, there's certain milestones where you do get cars. And most of the challenges and things like as you increase your star ranking, you get farther leveled up in that and there are set cards you get from that and also the barn most of it uh, that after you get to a certain point in the story you start unlocking barn thons every so often they'll uh, contact you and say hey we heard a rumor about a car in this area go check it out and you go look around and you'll find a barn that you uh, loot and uh, get a classic car out of now usually pretty good cars sometimes uh, they're a little iffy like uh, the PLP 50 is one of them. That's essentially like a shopping cart with an engine on it. Yeah, but that that one's kind of a silly one. Um, you can get like the Jaguar XJ 220 if you if you're someone out there you know who what that is. There's a Aston Martin DB4 Zagato that you can get out of it. Um, you can get a specific version of the Subaru Impreza. Um, a few other like very good cars that can be used for you know various racing disciplines out of them. So there's there's a couple of silly things, but most of them. I've got some pretty interesting stuff. But the biggest majority of your car progression, it, at least initially, I don't know if it changes oh, no. as you get farther and farther oh, out no, in I'm, the game. Because I'm, uh, I'm like... I'm, a, I'm in the mid-100s, and it's still the same. I mean, I hit level one, 101, 100 or 101 today. Yeah, I'm like uh, I don't know what the max 40. level is. Uh, oh, I've seen people in the 900s. Okay, yeah, I saw somebody today that was 350, and that's the highest I've seen. Uh, uh, and one, uh, well, that's something else is the Forzathon Lobs that we haven't talked about. We'll, we'll get to that. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. Uh, but everything outside of the set rewards, the barn funds, the uh, milestones, and that sort of thing, uh, and the, whenever you start a particular discipline, they'll also give you a starter car. Is, Which they give you good starter cars too. Yeah. It doesn't do that thing where it gives you like a shitty like bottom of the barrel car. Yeah, the, yeah. The starter it gives car you is some more... uh, pretty tricked out. It's not top of the class, but it's pretty damn good. Yeah, most of them are like A class. I think one of them, just by nature of the type of car it was, was like an S class. But most of the starter cars are like A class. Which you know, like I just said a minute ago, like that's pretty good. 
you know, they excel at whatever their particular discipline is, but they're not. But like remember also the Travatars are tuned to what car you bring in. That's true, but it really helps to get some, some that psychological know, feel. good stuff right off the bat. Because, I mean, I've played every standard Forza game and most of the Gran Turismo. So it's like you always start in the really shitty slow car and have to build your way up to the good one. Even the other sort of open world games like this, like Test Drive and The Crew, which I think I'll talk a little bit more yeah. about towards the end. Yeah, I, but those I games start you out in shitty cars, too. So... Anyways, yeah, take, yeah, this uh, yeah, this uh, gives you a pretty good starter car railway. But outside of all of that, everything is on a slot machine system, either normal uh, spins or what they call super spins. Every time you level up your global influence, which once you get past level one hundred, uh, and you're not getting as much stuff in the uh, each individual disciplines, it starts to really ramp up the amount of global influence uh, ticks you get. Which, as far as I can tell, also is static, at least in the 100s range. Because my farming uh, race I do, it pretty much guarantees me like three or four levels. It does a spin on the wheel, and there's cosmetics on it for your uh, driver. There's horns. There, There's uh, certain amounts of credits. And then there's cars of varying rarities. And that is the progression system, is it's spinning the slot machine and see what you get. It's a gotcha game, in a sense. Only without getting multiples. I, I don't think I've ever gotten a multiple of a car. I bought multiples of a car. I have gotten one. Um, I picked the Dodge Ram for my like starting off-road car, um, or extreme off-road, or whatever that, that car class is. And then I got one off of a spin. But you can sell them on the auction house, or I, what I did was I just set one up for off-road and one set up as like an on-road truck. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you there is a I mean, you can just go and buy cars. Yeah, at the auction house, well. and uh, the auction house is pretty damn cheap to buy cars usually. Well, you can you can you can just buy straight up buy cars mm-hmm. um, at the at the Forza Auto Show. Auto Show, but they don't offer all the cars. No, they I think they rotate them. No, I'm I haven't, like, not actually sure checked. about that. And then, but yeah, the auction house, the auto show, and then you can buy specific cars from the what's it called? Is it the Horizon Shop? Yeah, there's uh, the one yeah, there's some the microtransactions in it as well, where you get a car pass for like seventeen or twenty bucks to get a set of cars, like cars from James Bond or uh, uh, various old muscle cars. Which, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, but eh, right? Yeah. Um, But there's not a way to buy spins per se, uh, or at least with real money as far as I can tell. But you also get the spin so often that it's still scummy. It still is, uh, it has me taken aback a bit just by, you know, it's like, okay, um, this this has a that you know that gambling itch in it, but they give it to you so often that it kind of levels out the uh, curve a little bit on the cars you get versus the cosmetics. It still sucks whenever you get a cosmetic that's god uh, ugly, but you know that you're going to get another one pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, and like I said, it's it's, uh, it's yeah, you know, it's a little concerning. 
I feel like they've struck a really good balance as far as things go. Like, I'm not giving them, like, a free pass for it. I, I dislike, in general, these types of systems. Well, it also makes me wonder, but, just behind the scenes, how much, uh, you know, uh, tweaking of the odds as you uh, do spins are done. Because, you know, uh, I've gotten some uh, of the super spins where it's essentially the full slot machine. You're getting three spins out of one. Where I've gotten absolute shit. You know, I've got, like, 25,000 credits, which is something that shows up on the normal spin. But then I've gotten a super spin that gave me a legendary car, an epic car, and you know an absolute ton of credits on top of it. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if yo, I am I just uh, lucky or unlucky in those cases, or is it the odds being nudged as you know I do more of the spins? Because okay, I don't, I I don't have a particular car, uh, class of car or a lot of them in that you know like oddball class, so they'll nudge the odds a little bit more, so I'm seeing them more often. I don't know. I honestly don't pay attention. I'm always just like, I press the button as fast as I can to get the actual spin part over because I don't give a shit. Uh, spin and then skip. my kid's there. Yeah, same here. Yeah, spin and skip. Because uh, you know but, that, um, you know, the slot machine, that you know, how it takes over and you know, almost goes to the next one or barely skips over to the next one. That's determined as soon as you press the button. That's all visual. Yeah. Um, I, it's this interesting thing. Like, I feel like it strikes a pretty good balance. Like, if it's going to have this kind of system, which, you know, obviously it does. I think it strikes a good balance between, like, how often it gives it to you, the type of rewards it gives, that sort of thing. But also the fact that Forza, it's built this system in, like, we were just talking about how that the game sort of sets it to whatever you want to do. So you don't, never at any point in time have I felt limited by not having a, a type of car or a specific car, because that doesn't matter, because the game is going to set itself to whatever I have. But also the so, uh, other thing is how it's changed our experiences. So I got a couple really good off-road cars pretty much immediately. And you got, uh, I'm assuming, more street vehicles, right? No, actually, I've got uh, what I feel like are several pretty good off-road cars. No, Just I mean, my driving style is... No, I mean, pretty much I immediately do. I got uh, off-road cars. But also ended up with a fair amount of classic cars. You know, I got... Uh, I got a like a 1950s Chevy truck that I could just put around in. I've got, I mean, I know you've got more cars than me, but I have, I think, 106 cars. Um, I think I'm up to like 140 some. I mean, I've got a good spread across everything except for hypercars. I think I've only got one hypercar. Oh, I've got several hypercars. But I mean, you've seen me you know, tool around in the Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, I also just get a bunch of random stuff off of the auction house because I'll go and look at just like anything that's got a bid of less than 10,000 that's ending within the next minute. And I'll just bid like on everything on the page unless it's something that I've got, you know, but I'll bid on everything. So I've gotten some stuff that, you know, I've gotten some good stuff. I've got some shitty stuff. My biggest problem, and I've done this with every Forza game forever, is I will go. Well, I would like to get this one particular car, whatever it is, but instead I'll buy 15 of these cars, spend $100,000 on each of them to get them to a specific class, and then mess with them. And I, you know, I've done that with Forza games forever, so that's nothing new for me. Yeah, there's been a couple times that I've uh, messed around with a particular truck, or uh, like uh, getting uh, getting the... uh, uh, the uh, the tractor last night I was toying around with that but uh, that's something I could have spent money elsewhere on but I also was messing around with various off-road cars to be able to uh, take them online for various things as well and that's the 
other thing getting it's circling back around to Forzathon and Forzathon Live uh, because they have a pseudo battle pass thing going on where it goes by a weekly cycle uh, along with the cycle of the map. So the map isn't you know, always the same. It changes throughout the seasons. Each season lasts a week. So currently the map is in the autumn season, which also unlocks certain barns and also uh, makes it so that certain races are a little bit different. But uh, then it'll progress to winter because, you know, that's how the seasons work. And it makes it so that the roads are slicker, but also you may want to go in and change your uh, cars to more uh, uh, snow-based setups. But yeah, this Battle Pass system uh, awards you with Forzathon points, which uh, unlocks a shop that has a rotating stock with the seasons of one or two cars, a couple cosmetics, and that's the like the only place that you can buy spins as well. And it also ties into uh, Forzathon Live, which is an hourly event. Every hour on the hour, everyone on the server has the chance to go to this event and have a, co- a collaborative experience, which I found a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoy it too. So what it is, is a particular place on the map about 10 minutes until the hour pops up. And then at five minutes, everybody gets told, hey, uh, Forzathon's about to start. And you got to race over there or, you know, just fast travel if it's close enough to one of your houses or things, which that's something else that we really didn't touch on. And uh, it's a three round 15 minute thing 15 minutes total if you don't uh, complete all three rounds in that uh, amount of time you only get what you uh, completed and it takes objectives from the map and it kind of nudges uh, you in different directions because it will say okay uh there's a danger sign here everybody has to jump off of it and the collaborative group has to obtain a total sum of this distance and every time you jump, you add to that. So it's not just, well, uh, you only did 100, and that's all you're ever going to contribute. No, if you do another jump, you add another 100 or so, and on and on and on. And it kind of encourages that exploration, because it may take you to a part of the map that you hadn't really looked at yet. Or it may uh, show you, hey, there's a danger sign here that you didn't know about. Uh, go check it out, right? It also yeah. shows you how to get some of the influence boards because there was one that was on top of your church that I couldn't figure out how the hell you're supposed to get to it. Well, there was a danger sign that I hadn't unlocked that I didn't you know, notice later on that uh, the Forzathon lab was part of that showed me, okay, this is how you do that. And it felt, well, it's not really an organic way. It's very artificial, but it's that collaborative effort that kind of breaks up the monotony of all the random races. And this is on top of the Battle Pass system where you have seven daily challenges for the season plus a bunch of set challenges. And some of them are collaborative efforts, some of them are PvP, some of them are just, you know, do certain tricks. Like, uh, I get, uh, today's was get two ultimate gear misses, which means get on the hallway, drive on the wrong side of the road, and start missing cars. But only a little bit. Until you yeah. get the ultimate uh, miss, uh, essentially chain. But some are more 
uh, involved like getting near misses, which is drifting while almost hitting a car. Some are just, you know, winning a race. Then you get into uh, the weekly challenges, which are uh, a championship where it's uh, Dravatars versus players. So all the players kind of group up on the uh, Dravatars and you have to race to beat them. Uh, some of them are post a uh, a certain lap on uh, this uh, track against the uh, online rivals. It has a good selection of things that makes it so that at least for the time being, it doesn't feel like it's going to get monotonous. Yeah. And also, well, you mentioned the crew. I think we have to compare it to the other games in this genre that we've played. I've only really played the crew. And it has a less of a edginess to it. The crew uh, took itself not nearly as seriously as Forza, uh, 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 Forza Horizon does, which sounds weird. But the crew also tried to put more of a story into this sort of game, which just didn't work. And also, this shows that size of the map definitely isn't everything, because the crew's map, I would want to say it's several times bigger than this. Easily. Yeah, easy. Uh, in both directions. So, yeah area is just blown away but it doesn't feel like you're alone remember how i called the crew the most lonesome mmo i've played in forza even though there's a similar number of players on the map because they're so concentrated you'll see them occasionally just drop past and if they're not in your convoy essentially your group you know you'll just pass right by them but it gives a sense of hey, this uh, event is really happening and there's other drivers here doing their own things. And sometimes just sitting and watching, okay, that driver's trying to get that influence board, just sit and watch him do it for a bit, you know, get an idea of what's going on or see them uh, trying uh, out other challenges. And it it gives a sense of life to the world that the crew was desperately lacking just because outside of the the, uh, introduction to the crew, I rarely saw uh, people... Yeah, same. Um, and, and, you know, I think compared to the crew, Forza is better in a, in a number of ways. I would say just about customization. I would say just about every way outside of just map size. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and Forza's got, you know, the story of the festival and there's some serious elements. But in general, it's it's very, not necessarily silly and wacky. There's definitely silly and wacky bits to it. But if there's a game I've played in recent history that just is like, about the essence of fun it's this game like there's nothing about it that like makes me feel like i need to grind for something or i need to like i have to be somewhere and do something or you know i don't feel like i have chores it's just like what do i want to do today do i want to do some like silly stuff do i want to just drive around and relax do i want to try and find the rest of those bonus boards or you know do i want to do some serious racing like yeah, the only time I've it, uh, it's just really like, felt like I had to do something was when I discovered a house that gave bonus uh, Forza uh, Live points. So I quickly ground that yeah. out. But yeah, that was, you know, I put on some uh, music or some podcasts and I just drove. Yeah. Um, there's there's a number of open world car games, more than, than 
you might think if you've never been into the genre. But the one that I talk about a lot, I've talked about this game multiple times on the show, is Test Drive Unlimited. And specifically, I think Test Drive Unlimited 2, um, the first one was great, and I loved it. And that's kind of where I got my introduction into sort of more simulation race car driving. That was the first game that I had a friend talk me into using manual transmissions for my car and turning off some of the driver assists um, and driving using the like the first-person camera. It wasn't like in the cockpit. It, you know, that wasn't really... Not that it wasn't a thing, it was but the it was hood less cam. common then. It was the hood cam, yeah. Um, yeah, see, I do, still do third-person, and I do automatic transmission, but... Hey, that's you know, yeah. Uh, maybe I should try manual. Yeah, I I mean you know, you don't have to though. But I had some serious car friends who talked me into doing some of that stuff, and it it increased my enjoyment of the game. Um, but anyways, Test Drive Unlimited Two though is the one that really sticks out the most to me because that one, Test Drive Unlimited is just like, hey, you're at a car festival thing, that's kind of understated drive all of these really cool cars wherever you want on this island. And uh, Test Drive Unlimited 2 had Honolulu and Madrid, Spain. And um, it was very fun. It was very relaxed. There, there was a huge lack of customization and things in those games, but it was kind of a different world as far as that stuff went, you know, 10, 12 years ago. But this game, Forza Horizon, makes me feel like how I remember Test Drive Unlimited, if that makes sense. Like, I know that nostalgia is bumping up my memories and my estimations for Test Drive Unlimited and and 2, Unlimited 1 and 2, but this game makes me feel like how I remember feeling in Test Drive. And last night, like, when we were, you know, that's what we did for Community Game Night because Ghost Shark had it, and there's at least one other person in our community that has it, but he plays it on Xbox, and we don't know if there's cross-play yet. Yeah, we didn't get to uh, check that. We need to try that, and Jim is uh, getting the Game Pass, so he'll have it. Yeah. Um, And when we were online, just, like, showing off cars and, like, crashing into each other, and I kept, like, repeatedly challenging Ghost Shark to a race, even though his car was clearly better than mine... But I just kept challenging because I'm like, you asshole, I've got to beat you. Or I break out the per, uh, the pedo van and I drive into them. <laughs> that was hilarious. We were comparing cars and you're like, hey guys, want some ice cream? No, free candy. Like, or, yeah, no, free candy. That's what you said. It's just all of those little moments. It's like, yeah, making me feel like how I used to feel with Test Drive. But then we did like some serious racing a, a little bit. We were kind of learning the systems because that was the first time we had all done it. Um, it, it flows pretty well. I have a few issues with it, but I need to actually play with like the creator race creator some more. Cause I think you can set up multiple race events and I think that's the way to go. Cause you've got sort of a setup time and then a wind down time after every individual mm-hmm. race. And we should, we needed to coordinate cars a little bit better. Yeah. Setting it to unlimited caused the computer to like freak out. We were doing an off-road race and we were racing like Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And yes, I know there are a couple of off-road Lamborghinis. Well, it probably Ferraris, doesn't help but... that my rally car is a Porsche. Yeah. Well, a Porsche truck or SUV or something. Yeah, you use the. It's not Cayenne. Porsche. Do you have the Panamera? No, I think it or... is the Cayenne. Oh, okay. Um, but anyways, you know, we, we should kind of work on that one a little bit more, but we did a couple oh, no, of, that's, um, uh, one of the other, no, 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 that looks like it. 
we did it, but we did a couple of Forza Thon lives, and those were fun, um, and you know some other stuff. Like, there's a lot to be had there, just hanging out and doing stuff. So, it's it's great. Yeah, we need if, to get you the you... barn find for the peel, so we could just drive around with well, those. That was the summer barn find. Oh, it was, and I missed summer because that's the only one that you have that I don't, and I have all twelve of the non-seasonal barn find cars. Oh, I didn't realize so that must have been the summer car. Yeah. Because I got to uh, through the first year, and I had like two you days of summer. It. Yeah, and so you got the summer one, and I didn't, because I didn't get through the first year until the fall. All right, then we, we bought Assetas. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, yeah. So, if you've ever played and enjoyed any sort of open world car game, this is by far the best one. Like, you will like it. There's something here for everybody that likes car games. And, you know, if you don't like car games, you may or may not like it. But it's definitely not, you know, if, if you've seen Forza before and even Horizon, it'd be like, oh, yeah. like they've talked about how Jared in particular has talked about how Forza is like this awesome, like crazy simulator. Yeah. Horizon this game is, doesn't uh, have Horizon's to be that arcade way. Cousin. Yeah. And like I said, if you're someone who does like the simulation gameplay style, it takes a little bit of tweaking, but you can get pretty close to it. You get pretty close. So I was, I'm very pleased with this game. I'm very happy. I'm on the verge of just buying it outright because I do want the Lego expansion and the Treasure Island expansion. Yeah, maybe when it uh, goes on sale. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. When it's on because, sale next time, uh, with the Game Pass, you also get a discount. So I'm not sure how that will work with the like a summer sale or something. Yeah, I don't know if they stack. Yeah, it, or if it, it just, just takes the higher of the. Two yeah, it discounts. just seems like uh, you know getting uh, getting a DLC for a game that you're essentially running uh, seems a little silly. Yeah, but I'm I'm gonna buy like the gold or the ultimate edition or whatever it is that's got all the DLC and all the extra car packs and everything. The game's got I think 450 cars, something like 450 cars in like the base version. And then all the DLCs add like another 150 cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. just uh, a ridiculous amount of cars. Uh, there are a lot that uh, you know, are essentially carbon copies of it, uh, of each other's because you know, it'll be like, especially this uh, that more high end cars. You'll know, be like the the uh, like 97, the 98, and the 99 Ferraris. The you know pick a name just uh, at random that are very very similar to the point where it's splitting hairs. Yeah, and I think that's more for the car people because, like, there can be a big difference between two different year models of a Ferrari or a Porsche or something like that. And, like, I care about that. But, you know, you... It's, uh, does it go for him? Or also just the Roy... <laughs> yeah, I want to say you. I mean, the Royal you, you don't have to care about that. But I'm sure that, you know, they squeak in a few extras on that. But that's... Not the norm. It's not like they have five versions of every car. So those yeah, really there's only like, like twenty cars. Yeah, there's only like one car that I noticed that was like you know half a dozen copies of it or you know close copies. Yeah, but then you know you have uh, the classic cars like like I said the 1950s. Uh, yeah, almost uh, uh, Fred Sanford uh, uh, Chevy truck. Yeah. I love, I've got, I don't have the Chevy, but I do have the Ford, like the, I think 1950 something Ford F-150, like the first year model that they made the F-150. I have that. 
I know that, that I, I guess we're going to have to rolls go cruising. over really easy. Yeah, I put like a, a five. You know, I, I upgraded the the engine. You know, put a bunch of stuff on. it, got it like five hundred horsepower, and it didn't change anything else. And so you take a corner, and it like rolls over. Yeah, I I put a motorcycle engine in my peel, so it peels. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I mean, you hit the accelerator and it just, you know, leaves <laughs> burn out for like, what would it be like 50 or 60 feet? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, we could talk about more, I'm sure, like we could get into the nitty gritty, but in general, like, hey, I hope you enjoyed this impromptu gameplay about Forza Horizon <laughs> yeah, really. 4. It was a blast. We both liked it a lot. Which I think speaks a lot about the game just in general. You and I have very different car game philosophies mm-hmm. that we've talked about at various points throughout the show. And both of us really enjoy this game. So, Yeah, I think it pretty much as long as you can enjoy a racing game, you'll enjoy this to some degree. Yeah. yeah. And it also has I that, agree. you know, oh, well, there's a, a board over there. Oh, there's a jump over there. Oh, there's a speed zone uh, just down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, Forza Thon Live is starting? Well, I better get over there. Yeah. So, an excellent game. Yeah, which kind of brings us to kind of the Xbox Game Pass overall. And I would say more the launcher. It's a beta right now, so, you know, things are subject to change, of course. I do have a couple minor bugbears with it, but overall, it's not bad. I will say that I did find out that it uh, set my computer back to uh, uh, the DVR back on, so, and I turned that off ages ago so that annoyed me yeah uh but i would say the main thing is that it's a little on the sluggish side at least for me uh pages seem to load a little slowly and also the main thing that annoys me is that uh, it has no eta on its downloads and some of these downloads are rather substantial so not having that knowing okay well i could go yo uh, yeah make a sandwich or something uh, versus, okay, well, I could go make a four-course dinner. <laughs> yeah, also, every time I try and download something, and it, it doesn't matter when or how or what or why, because, I mean, it, I think everyone in our community is aware that I've had internet issues pretty bad the last month. Like, there's something wrong. Um, User error. With my internet, my network, somewhere. But it doesn't really matter, like, if I was having a good day or a bad day. I installed it on my laptop just to double-check it, like, Every time I try to download something, it says error, but then it downloads anyway in the background. Yeah, I haven't gotten so that I, one. Um, oh, another uh, annoyance about it is that you can set it to download to uh, various drives, but in order to do so, you have to go into the options and change it so that the next download goes to a different drive. And then you have to uh, switch it back so you're not, you know, like filling up your SSD. Yeah. I've just got everything set to install on my hard disk, uh, my, my my big internal hard drive. Yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of little things, but it's also a beta, and this is an actual beta. And during yeah. the beta, it's uh, five bucks a month outside the E3 special, then it jumps up to ten when it gets full release, which I'm starting to get to the edge of, you know, where I think it's worth it, just because I have a, uh, yeah. a it has a fair amount of carryover from, like, a uh, Twitch Prom and uh, my Steam library and that sort of thing. I would say if you don't have a good uh, library, it's definitely worth the 10. Yeah. 
And it, depending on how much you really like some of the Microsoft exclusive games that you can't really get anywhere else, like this is a better way to do it than going through the the Microsoft Store or Windows Store, whatever, because that thing sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, this does bring up, this up the Windows Store prompt whenever you're uh, getting something. Like there's a few uh, free packs for different things that you have to yeah. manually enable. And in order to do that, it brings up a Windows Store prompt to type in your password every single time. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a, a subscription launcher. It's not a store. So I could forgive it not having a, things like a shopping cart. Yeah. I mean, it's way better than the, than the Epic uh, store. It's honestly, I think, better than every single one of these launchers I've seen except Steam. Um, well, what's interesting... I don't use not, the GOG launcher very well, much, so in, I don't have a good comparison It's point interesting that. that you bring that up because they have announced that Microsoft is an official partner with GOG for Galaxy 2.0. I saw that, actually. So, so. yeah, once Galaxy 2.0 uh, comes out, I'm probably going to be ditching this launcher to go over there. Assuming that it's yeah, use, uh, usable, of course. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm looking at the games again, and we kind of talked about the game list a little bit on the E3 episode. But if you're the sort of person that's maybe not interested in that, or you know, you might have missed it when we were just going and talking about so many different mm-hmm. things. There's a really good variety of games on yeah, here. Yeah, well, I was talking to Jim um, last There's over a hundred games in the launcher. Uh, I don't think there's objectively a bad game in the list. There's some that are borderline, yeah. but there's not any that I would say okay, that's definitely a bad game objectively subjectively yeah things like uh, hello neighbor uh, or uh, we happy few i think are bad games but yeah i would say hello neighbor is probably the weakest one just on a technical standpoint be- unless they fixed it from the last time i heard but that's yeah still a pretty high bar for bad games yeah yeah, there, I mean, there's there's lots of games on here that I'm like, huh. You know, if I was going to buy this, I wouldn't. But since it's on the list, I'll definitely give that a shot at some point. Uh, such as? And, but there's nothing on here that... I don't have the launcher uh, launched right now. Let's see. There's, a couple, there's one that's like a shopping cart racing game that's odd. Yeah, that's the uh, GOAT. Uh, here we go. Supermarket Shriek. Mm-hmm. And it's like you use your microphone and you yell into your mic and you have to like yell louder than the goat does in order to drive the shopping cart. Very strange. Uh, but, you know, games like Broforce, not interested. Don't think I own Broforce anywhere else. It might be like in my Twitch library or something and then I don't realize it. But like I wouldn't buy that. It's neat looking. I might, you know, try it. And I mean, I'll probably try it on here at some point if I keep it long enough. You know, a game like Broforce, um, Disneyland Adventures, you know, that's a, you know, a family game that I probably wouldn't buy just because my kid's not like a huge Disney fan, at least not at this point in his life yet. He's gravitated towards other things. But, you know, he would like to sit down and, and play a game with Mickey and Goofy and whoever else is in there. But I wouldn't buy it. Uh, Zoo Tycoon. Um, nothing wrong with Zoo Tycoon. I just probably wouldn't buy it. But it's here. Uh, Ark Survival, Recore, wouldn't buy either of those games on their own at this point. I suppose like Recore wasn't terrible. It was just, uh, it was a launch title, so it was a little undercooked. Yeah. 
you know, Gears 4, that's a Microsoft exclusive. I fell off of the Gears series a long time ago, but, like, I have access to it, so I'd play it. Um, uh, and see. also, uh, the interesting thing is Microsoft's getting around the uh, Epic exclusivity because yeah. uh, Metro Exodus and the Outer Worlds are both on this. Yep. Probably because of their, you know, console... Mm-hmm the xbox stuff but they can put it on here because it's the you know the xbox game pass for pc or, or whatever so uh, i suddenly see. got a lot more interest in the outer worlds again so yeah slay the spire that's not something i'd probably buy it's, that's in a bad game it's a deck builder yeah pony pony island that's supposedly um, a mind fuck hollow knight um, I would never buy it, but it's interesting, and I would check it out, and I now have access to it. So, you know, I mean, there's lots of games on here that, that sort of fall into that category for me. And there's plenty of games that I you know, would buy, too, but, you know, it, it's great for me. I'm, I'm going to be keeping it for a while, and then, you know, if I, when it comes to the point that I'm ready to drop it, I'll probably purchase a few games that I'm really interested in keeping. That way I can at least get whatever the discount. And we could always go play Sea of Thieves one week. We could do that. Sea of Thieves might be interesting if I had more people to play with. And also, now that they have air quotes fixed it with content. Yeah, which, you know, that's the whole games as a service problem is that they could uh, just release games in a either broken or semi-broken state and, you know, uh, live off the pre-orders and then fix it later. Yeah. State of Decay 2, I probably wouldn't have bought that. It was basically got mediocre reviews and was most people said, it's like, well, it's like State of Decay 1, but more. Sort of like uh, the Crackdown 3 problem. It's uh, essentially more of Crackdown 1, but, uh, yeah, uh, the sandbox genre has progressed since then. Yeah, well, Crackdown 3, too. That's one that I probably wouldn't buy, but, you know, I have access to it, so at some point I'll probably play it. And I assume, like, they've said that the X or the Microsoft first-party stuff is going to be on here, you know, permanently in, in the Game Pass, and then the third-party stuff is what will occasionally rotate out. And it's been that way on the Xbox Game Pass, you know, on the console, so... Yeah, so over time, this will get be more and more of a better deal, especially if you like the first-party Microsoft stuff. Yeah. So, I I do have a few niggles with the launcher itself. I don't have that slowdown issue. Yeah, it's just the page that... loads a bit slowly. I mean, not yeah, terribly slowly. It's just there's a delay. And also, it feels like if you have too many games loaded... Uh, it's not a great system to have you know, a bunch of the games in the library downloaded and ready to go just because everything's yeah, I... over on that side. But it also makes it so that anything that's downloaded and ready to go, you know, you just press a button and it launches. Yeah. But, yeah. But pretty minor stuff to really uh, bitch about, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's much more sort of nitpicks in that res- respect. Which mean nitpicking? Nah, never. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, I wasn't really, I was kind of joking, but also not really when I said mini game club because we've been uh, recording for a, nearly two yeah, I think hours. This is pretty much a normal game club now. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Enjoy a, a bonus game club, guys. 
Yeah, and this one goes Vroom. Vroom indeed. Uh, flipping over to the topics list. Yeah, so I imagine we're killing oh, that last one. Uh, probably. Um, we'll leave it on for now. We'll see how we go. Yeah, and and potentially Discovery Q as well. I definitely want to leave Jim's submission on there for sure. Just make sure we, you know, do our community stuff. But, anyways, we'll not waste any more time babbling about things and move on to our first news topic. Well, tonight, I thought you said we were not going to spend time babbling about things. I'm I'm just segueing to things. Anyways, mobile games are losing to video in the battle for users' time. Which, honestly, isn't really surprising when I really sat down and thought about it. Just because mobile gaming has kind of stagnated a bit. Yeah, and also most of mobile gaming falls into a similar trend of open your game for a few minutes, close it, and move on. Or, or wait for it to but, bug you, uh, you know, in six hours or three hours. Yeah, whereas if you're going to sit down and watch video or really do anything else on your phone, you're probably committing to longer time. You know, YouTube videos, I think the average YouTube video is, what, 10 minutes now? Something yeah, like that. Uh, well, that's where that kind of the sweet spot for the algorithm supposedly is, is the 10-minute range. Which, for doing a Let's Play, yeah, that's pretty much intro, uh, click on a couple of things, and outro. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to be checking emails, texts, phone calls, browsing the interwebs, all of those things are probably going to take either more time just in a single go, or you're going to be checking your phone many more times for for shorter periods of time, which, of course, add up to more than the five or ten minutes you're probably going to be playing a game on your phone that one or two times a day to do your dailies or whatever. So, I mean, it does make perfect sense, but... It's still interesting because gaming, they, they say in this article, like they go through and they yeah, get but, some figures yeah, about but here's the thing for a couple that, of years. Uh, mobile games are losing out, but games remain the single most lucrative mobile app category. So, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive. People are spending less time on games or less time than video, but it's still, you know, the big cash cow where, uh, let's see, comprising 74% of customers spending uh, in uh, 2018 total, which actually... that. It really depends on how you break it down because that would technically be me as well, but it also depends on how you count things like Netflix. Because if you count my Netflix subscription, then it would balance out. Well, thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry, I got you off your chain of thought. I just want to interject that. Oh, uh, uh, you're fine. Um,. What I what I was saying was that they had listed a number of things for like growth over the last few years, and that time spent in games had grown by thirty percent, but everything else grew at a higher rate than it did. So people are spending more time playing games on their phone than than previously, but the time they've spent doing other things has increased by quite a lot. And we had a very brief conversation about this before we started. That makes perfect sense to me, as phones and tablets and things like that. Um, you know, the mobile space becomes much more integrated into daily life. Like I get that, you know, just about everybody has a smartphone these days, particularly if you're in a first world country. Um, and I think most people around the world have at least a cell phone. I saw some studies about that at one point. It's something like five or six billion people 
have a phone out of, you know, the seven point whatever billion people on the planet. And then like more than 50% of those are smartphone users or something like that. I'm kind of pulling this out of my ass from a study I read like six months ago, but you know, take that with a little bit of grain of salt, but you know, it's, it's a lot. And as it becomes even more increasingly integrated into daily life and more and more things, both from work and, and entertainment perspectives get put onto these devices. Like it makes sense that things would naturally grow anyways. Um, kids are getting access to phones earlier in life. Uh, the elderly population is getting greater access to technology. Like my grandmother, she's 80 something, 82, 83. This woman doesn't know how to work her TV, but she's got a smartphone and has recently started like texting and playing games and stuff on her smartphone. And I'm like, who, who are you? Where's my grandmother? Did you replace her? But it's you just, you know, know there's a greater integration. <laughs> My, she's she's not the cookie one. She makes the best biscuits I've ever had, though. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it just gets more and more integrated into daily life. So it makes sense that all of these numbers are going to go up and continue to go yeah, up. Yeah, look at my neighbors. It's kind of run to the gambit. The uh, lady across the hall from me, uh, she's in her 60s, and... Uh, she doesn't know how to use most technology. She still has a CRT TV for uh, Pete's sake. Yeah. Uh, but she's also one of those that says, I can't. And just dismisses it right off. Uh, but yeah. then there's others around here. There's a couple that have just, uh, there's one uh, older gentleman that has a flip phone. Uh, there are several that have smartphones. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of that transition phase. And it's the, you know, it's the ones that are like my neighbor from across the hall that are kind of the minority now of, you know, completely shunning technology or having to get help for even the most basic things like uh, getting digital coupons for the local grocery store. She has to get the manager of the apartment complex to go do that for her because she, uh, it's not that she can't figure it out. She doesn't want to try to figure it out. But then again, this is yeah. also... Uh, uh, the lady that gets amazed by the most kind of mundane things, like I have spice uh, ca- uh, uh, jars that are refrigerator magnets. They just stuck to the refrigerator, and she's just uh, fascinated by them. That's fancy. I've never seen that before. Can tell her if you're joking or not. No, seriously, I've never seen those before. Well, I guess I'll have to take like a picture anywhere. later. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I can picture it in my mind, like. It's pretty neat. Never never seen those anywhere before. Never thought about doing that. We had like a clip-on spice rack we hung over uh, our pantry door at our old place. That was pretty cool. Well, I have one spice rack that's attached with magnets to the back uh, of the uh, uh, hood above the stove. And then I have the uh, refrigerated magnets ones, which I'm going to get another set of. Those would be nice for, like, the most common spices that you use. They're, like, right there. It's like, grab your ingredients out of the well, fridge. Well, it also depends grab on... Grab your two or three most used spices. It also depends on, uh, you know, uh, what I get in bulk. So, like, my smoked paprika's on there, which I got in bulk. Or my uh, uh, red chili flakes. Or, like, five different types of salt. And no, I'm not joking. <laughs> Welcome to the co- cooking portion of the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> um... But anyways, yeah, 
Um, was where else do we want to go with this article? Well, it's more, I think, uh, just uh, how phones have grown, but have kind of grown around gaming instead of making it the core focus. But still, it's the biggest cash cow. I mean, we haven't seen that big a growth in gaming uh, in hours spent as a comparison to the pre- uh, to the previous years. But it's more the rise of social media. I mean. They uh, did they say a per actual percentage on that? I'm um, not seeing it, but yeah, you know, it's a fairly substantial chunk of social media and just communication in general. I'm looking; I don't see any percentages for that. But when, uh, I guess percentage-wise, it's close to the same, but it's just less of a focus with video. Quite, uh, it's video that's really grown. I mean, look at the hours. But it's also, you have Netflix uh, coming in a lot more. You have uh, the mobile networks offering more data uh, at a uh, faster rate without absolutely gouging you half the time. At least in the U.S. Uh, you have uh, places that set up uh, Wi-Fi hotspots uh, for their customers now a lot more often than you did a few years ago. Where you, you yeah. don't have to worry about using your mobile data, so you could sit at a restaurant and yo, know, uh, watch a episode of something, or you know, uh, check out YouTube while you eat, or you know, just you know, cool off. So you know, yeah. maybe that's the uh, reason why we're seeing just a growth on video. It's not one particular thing; it's just kind of a combination of more accessible data, faster speeds overall, uh, kind of a, a general acceptance of YouTube, a, a growth of. Uh, the various subscription models, uh, Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime becoming a, a lot more common uh, compared to you know, 2015, 2016. And the fact that there's just so yeah. many hot, uh, Wi-Fi hotspots and restaurants. Yeah. There's also a, a growing percentage of the population. I don't know how rapidly it's growing, but I've noticed in the last year, just because, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people. It's kind of my job. Um, that don't have a, a lot of, you know, that don't have TVs or that might not even have a computer. It's like, I mean, I have a TV my... and I have basic cable, but that's what's included with the apartment. <laughs> I don't absolutely yeah. subscribe to cable. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I know several, actually a couple of people that I work with that live in small apartments and they say they don't have room for a TV. They've got their laptop and their phone or... Uh, I know one girl that has a tablet and her phone and, you know, tablets and phones both count as mobile devices. So she wouldn't, she would only, everything she consumes is on one of those two devices. So everything she does is a hundred percent in the mobile category. And I suspect there's a lot more people that are in that sort of growing demographic than I realize because I, I am someone who does, you know, multiple computers and monitors and we have TVs in the house and, you know, we, we consume a lot of media that way. Uh, we don't we don't actually have cable or satellite or anything. We do everything 100% online, but I don't think that, you know, those devices count. I don't think my, you know, the Xbox in the living room, which is basically the Netflix box, uh, counts as a mobile device. Also, it makes me wonder how the count, I mean, I don't have this particular app that uh, they use for the data, but 
the thing is, like, in the morning while I'm uh, having breakfast and my coffee, uh, after I listen to the morning news on my Echo Dot, I'll queue up, uh, you know, a good chunk of uh, video content on YouTube from my phone casting to my TV. So would that count as video content on my phone? Because I'm using my smart TV to do it. Hmm, Probably. Interesting. Probably, yeah. I mean, you're using your mobile device as the uh, keystone of mm-hmm. that, cornerstone of that, you know, the the progenitor of that. Um, it's a good question, but I would suspect that it would count. So, yeah, maybe it's also smart devices just in general, because I, I can't imagine, you know, I'm a minority on that. No. Because casting uh, YouTube to a smart TV is pretty simple. It's just one button. Yeah, I don't do much casting, but it's because I have like 4,600 million PCs in my house connected to everything imaginable. So it's just anything I want to do, I can use one of my, use a use a, a media PC for. And in some ways that, you know, that is longer and takes more time, but in other ways it's it's faster and, you know, I have certain additional flexibility. But that's probably the next thing doing more casting in certain places in the mm-hmm. house, like in our bedroom. Um, possibly, probably in my kid's room, whenever he gets old enough to have a TV in there. That's a scary thought. <laughs> it's like, I, I get it. Like I'm, I'm old. I'm becoming a parent who's scared of things that his, his child is going to do with technology. Thankfully, at least from a technological sense, like it will take a while before he passes me. But when so he I does, can, like, I mean, he, yeah, when it comes to like Katie and her sort of technical knowledge of stuff, like her and King are pretty much on the same level. He struggles to use a keyboard and mouse because he's learning how to read. Like he knows all of his letters, but he doesn't. You know, he can't type or anything like that. So he struggles with that. But like, you give him a phone or a tablet or someone a, needs to be maybe speaking. <clears throat> yeah, his hands are still too small. He's just a little bit too small. He's getting there. But, um, you know, or you give him a, a controller of some kind, and he's good. Good to go. So, if he ever, or when he catches up to my knowledge, if he's interested in that sort of thing at all, then we'll be in trouble. Get the FBI knocking on the door. Uh, King, you've been hacking into the Pentagon again? <laughs> God damn it, son. But yeah, fun times. So, uh, speaking of kids and the internet, uh, yes. Dude, how is I don't understand how that's a segue. Eighty-three. Per- oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I, yep, I looked at the wrong one. Eighty-three percent of gamers potentially are interested in streaming services. So, when we say streaming services, we mean Google Stadia and some of the others. Uh, what's the Ubisoft thing that they announced? Was it Ubisoft? Uh, no, it was Bethesda. I'm not sure. I, I kind of glazed over with Bethesda. But Bethesda, uh, it was an engine thing, and that was more for streamers as in broadcasters onto Twitch as far as I could understand. They kind of went into gotcha. the realm of a lot of technical mumble jumbo, but things like, uh, I would imagine Sony casting, you know, uh, from a PlayStation would also sort account if you do it remotely but also yeah steam 
Yeah. They mentioned on here specifically Stadia. Uh, Stadia and Project Cloud or Project X Cloud, which is Microsoft's. Yeah, day. because Stadia is like the new hotness right now. But also, the interesting portion of this is of the 83%, what was it, 20 some, uh, doesn't have an internet connection strong enough to be able to get the throughput. Yeah. For. Uh, the bare minimum that Stadia requires, which um, let's see, t- t- I'm trying to find on here. Uh, 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 Google has previously stated players will be best served on Stadia with a 35 megabit uh, connection, which will deliver 4K streaming at 60 FPS. So that's the minimum requirement. Oh, or sorry, that's the best served. That's the recommended, with the minimum being 10 megabits for a 1080p. With Google warning, this will be scaled down to 720p on slower connections. Now, they said that on this, the study conducted said that below... Uh, sorry, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, down to the speed test results. So, up to 10 is 7%. So, 7% that were interested in this and did the speed test, out of, the door, uh, out of it right immediately. Now, that's assuming, of course, that they're doing it on the computer that they were planning on doing it on or whatever device. With another 10% being in the 10 to 20 uh, uh, megabit range, another 12% being in the 20 to 35, and 71% being 35 megabits plus. And the interesting thing is that the FCC has it the definition of broadband to be 25 megs down and three up. So that's rather telling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Either uh, people don't understand uh, the speed requirements of these or how uh, just overall demanding it's going to be because, well, you mentioned it in our pre-show banter, is that this does not have buffering in it the way video does. So if you have an yeah. unstable connection, one that has a lot of jitter, which jitter is by definition a unstable connection it's uh, the amount of change in a number of pings so if you ping a server and you get 10 uh, uh, ping back that's your baseline then you uh, send another ping and you get another 10 you have a jitter of zero you send another one and you get uh, an 11 well you have a jitter of one now and the higher the jitter the more likely you are that you're going to have an unstable connection and that doesn't, that's not measured here at all. We don't know how strong these connections are or how reliable these connections are. Yeah. Uh, you know, with my, again, my specific recent internet problems, like I've got 110, which, you know, well beyond what they, you know, are asking for as the base. And I won't run into another issue that I'll talk about in a second, which is like, you know, a, a little bit more deeply having multiple people using the internet at the same time. But, um, you know, I, even just a, a quick drop, you know, four or five seconds of, of dropout time is enough to completely sever the stream and ruin, you know, your entire experience and kick you out. You know, if you're streaming video, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, whatever, there's some buffer built in. So if your connection drops for a few seconds, you're probably not likely to notice it. It'll just, you know, go through the buffer, pick back up where it was, and keep going on. But you can't do that with a game because you need consistent, constant input. So, 
you know, I don't know how they're going to handle that. And that happens even if you've got typically a perfectly 100% stable connection. That could happen for a million reasons that have nothing to do with any of your own equipment. And then you could be dropped out of your experience. So I don't know how they're going to handle that. Then the other issue is I I would assume that this is only considering using a single computer or device on the, the network. But as soon as you introduce multiple devices, or if you're trying to do this wirelessly with other multiple devices, you're going to hit huge issues. If, if everyone is wired, the problem is not quite as bad because it's not equally cutting down internet usage. Like if someone is streaming or, you know, is watching YouTube, they're not going to be eating as much bandwidth as someone watching like 4K streams on Netflix or whatever. So as long as you've got a fast enough connection, you wouldn't have to worry about it too much. Like maybe 50 megs would probably be enough in that situation. But if you're doing it wirelessly, which I suspect a lot of people would be, like me and you and a lot of the people in our audience are a little bit more on the, you know, enthusiast side where we try to have more wired connections and things like that for stability and increased speed and whatnot. But as soon as you start introducing multiple wired devices on the same network, you start having massive speed drops just because of the way that wireless routers handle incoming and outgoing packets. So I won't get too technical on it, the details too much, but essentially for every device you add on a wireless network that is communicating at the same time, you cut the speed by more than half because you start running into packet collision from the wireless signals coming in and going back out. So there's a certain amount of, of buffer that has to be put into it, into the system. So let's say you've got a 100 meg connection and a wireless router that can hun- handle 100 megabits transfer. As soon as you put two devices on that network at the same time doing something at the same time, your overall connection speed is not 50 per device, but 25 per device because you have to have the extra buffer for packet collision and packet loss. So, you know, in my household, there are, let me think, if everybody's doing stuff at once, there's my phone, Katie's phone, King's tablet, her, Katie's laptop, and potentially my laptop. So my 100 meg connection, if everybody's got something going on at the same time that's a wireless device, could be cut down to like 1.2 available um, megabits per second per device, if I'm doing my quick math right. So if you're doing this wirelessly, you run into a whole host of other issues that this is not taking into consideration. I think I kept that pretty understandable. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking here at the actual survey, and there's some interesting things here. So uh, I would say gamesindustry.biz is doing a little bit of clickbaity on the 83% because there are 45% that says possibly, but it's dependent on other factors. So... I didn't click through and looked at that. I was looking at the speed test before. So that is an interesting thing. But still, that's quite a substantial chunk. 21% absolutely and 17% yes, probably. So not quite half, but close enough, right? Yeah. I don't think I'm interested in game streaming. I don't know. I think it depends on if they do a subscription model similar to what Xbox uh, uh, X Pass is doing or Xbox uh, Game Pass is doing. Yeah, Uh, but the way Stadia has it is that there it's a pretty expensive subscription service. 
But uh, let's just go through this because uh, uh, there's only 17% that says, no, I would not be interested. So, hey, you're in the minority, essentially. It uh, Actually, the yes, absolutely, or sorry, the yes, probably, and no, I would be interested are the same percentage. So that's an interesting uh, mirror, huh? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm absolutely never, like, going to use it, but I'm probably not. Let's see, do you have any concerns or uh, feel there will be any drawbacks to a gaming streaming service such as Google Stadia? Uh, let's see, the biggest concern is I think the performance or visual quality will be compromised, followed by I'd like to purchase a tangible product, which is strange. That's 34% of uh, replies. I don't think streaming will work for the types of games I play is 26% tied with. I don't think my broadband could handle game streaming. And then I don't think there would be, uh, I don't think they would be able to secure the games I want to play. So library issues. And only one person said, I don't think the controls will work on mobile devices. <laughs> <laughs> with a uh, 6% saying yeah. other. That's certainly part of it. I don't think the controls would work on mobile devices, but I mean, you know, you can find games that do that. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just a, pers- a combination of personally how I like to consume games and my, you know, this being my primary hobby. I'm fully equipped to handle a wide range of games on multiple devices with a better experience than I could probably get with streaming. So my use of streaming at this point would be like, well, if it's included with this other thing that I've got, like I, when I talked about or when they first announced Stadia, I said something along the lines of like, well, they've got their sort of Google family service, which includes like YouTube Red and their music pass and all the other stuff. Like if it gets rolled into that, I'd probably use it some just because it was there, but I don't think I would go out of my way to purchase it separately. Okay, where the hell did they... Uh find these people sorry i'm still doing a little bit of a deeper dive uh, according to this 49 percent of the connection types is fiber optic uh they're probably surveying a lot of people in they're like uh more t- high population areas not necessarily cities but places with higher population density 20 percent saying adsl which is uh a uh asymmetric digital subscriber line essentially combining dsl and cable modems uh yeah. 2% saying 4g <laughs> another 22% says uh, virgin media fiber with 5% saying i'm not sure what type of broadband connection i have that's a little concerning but okay and 2% saying other <laughs> how many said that they didn't know how percent type of connection they had that's actually a lot lower than i thought it would be Although maybe well, uh, they well, would they're, be in the general public. Or do you think uh, they may have just said fiber optic thinking cable modem? Uh, they might have done that. Or people might have said cable thinking of something else too, like cable modem thinking of something else. Yeah, because else. I had to set and think know, ADSL know. for a moment. Yeah. My, I mean, my parents call everything a router. Everything's a router. Oh, uh, so matter. like how growing right. up it was everything was a Nintendo? Yeah, everything's a Nintendo. No, every everything's a router to them. I gave up trying to correct them a long time ago. It's not worth it. Um, but yeah, it seems like uh, game streaming is a lot more... In, uh, the general population is a lot more interested in it than uh, we kind of gave it credit for. It'll be... Mm. 
I don't know. Well, I I thought that there would be some interest, but fifty uh, percent. Uh, well, well, not quite fifty percent, but nearly half saying yes or yes, uh, uh, probably is yeah a lot more than I was expecting. With uh, some sort of yes, but being up to eighty three percent. Yeah, I mean, this is honestly pretty on track with my expectations. You know, I I have said multiple times like. This is the way that it's going for the main stream industry. And the question is, how fast do we get there? Well, uh, you need at least 10 megabits per second, but they recommend 35. Yeah. And obviously that joke's Um, a spell flat. Yeah, it did. I'm looking... uh, I know that the average, like, connection speed in the United States has gone up in the last Well, AOL is losing subscribers, I'm assuming. They're dying off. <laughs> see, uh, 18.7. So the average person would be able to use it, but not hit the 4K, but 4K is future proof. I think I saw a more recent survey recently that said that it was higher than that. How old is the data that uh, you're looking at? Let's see. Uh, this is fixed broadband uh, speed data test, quarter two, quarter three, two thousand eighteen. Okay. Uh, this one. Uh, so uh, the uh, the quick uh, Google one was last year. I'm scrolling through this year's or oh, sorry, this uh, this last year's. Uh. So here, okay, here's something that uh, I think that I saw. Because it says speed test, which, you know, I think normal everyday people aren't using speed test, or ranking. Let's see, West Virginia, 86.32 down, 14.85 up. Tennessee, 100.13 up, 49.73 down. Oh, sorry, 40. 40, (laughs) uh, uh, Sorry, 49.73 up, uh, uh, 11 down. I got them backwards because I was, let's see, ooh, uh, uh, the low end is like a middle of nowhere, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. Uh, they're all above 50, so that's something. Alaska, 80.9 down, 21.4 up average. Texas and, oh, hang on, who has the best? Because there's a tw- uh, 121 out there somewhere. Uh, oh, Maryland has 117.5 uh, down and 63.04 uh, up. So we found where we want to live. Let's see. I'm just looking at some stuff. According to this article from Vox, U.S. Internet uh, speed. Oh, uh, never mind. We don't want to go where it's fast internet. Why? It's New Jersey. Yeah, I'm okay with that. One twenty-one point four nine four five down, fifty-six point five up. So, every, pretty much everywhere is having close to the same, as long as it's just at not absolutely terrible ups uploads. Its downloads are varying quite a bit. What? Yeah. West Virginia is just terrible, though. All right. But then again, West Virginia. Also has a lot of people that use satellite connections because 
there's a lot of areas that just you cannot access uh, broadband or even uh, uh, reasonably do a phone because you would hit a long uh, uh, either long distance doing dial up, which actually uh, when I was uh, little <laughs> uh, doing a dial up modem, it uh, put in the wrong data center, so I was calling the wrong one. And racked up a little bit of long distance, not crazy amounts, but um, my mom wasn't happy at the time. It was essentially the other side of the city that was just over the distance marker. Yeah. So it was like tier one or the first tier or whatever. Yep. Back when uh, long distance was actually a thing in the same country. (laughs) That's another uh, uh, thing that's gone away, huh? Yeah, I've I've I'm have never dealt with that. Young enough to have never dealt. Get with Get off that. my fucking lawn. Um, okie dokie. We have got enough time for essentially one more thing plus Jim's article. Maybe two more things if thing. If yeah. So which stuff one goes do you fast want? Enough. Um, you mean news article or Discovery well, Q? Well, let's do news article first, and we'll figure it out. Okay. Well, I mean, we'll just go ahead and go next in the list. So, Square Enix has no idea how many parts Final Fantasy VII Remake will have. How do you not have any idea? That That's what I don't get. Yeah, so the first game, I'm doing air quotes because of Final Fantasy VII, like the but the, you know the first game in this remake is what's the the opening city I'm Midgar a huge blank right now I don't have Midgar is the Midgar portion from uh, you know disc one the first disc uh, essentially yeah, uh, disc one I would say about a quarter or a third of disc one is Midgar in the original game so it, they're expanding it out which we knew they were expanding it to be its full game. Or uh, you know, after they talked about it, they uh, they said before that they were expanding uh, the story. But uh, the fact that they don't know how many parts there are that's that's troubling. Uh, they're going full Star Citizen. Yeah, if they were like, well, you know, if this works out the way we've intended it to, it'll be X number of parts. You know, five, four, five, six, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Just like we have planned to have this many if things work out mostly the way we intend. But they're like, ah, we, we don't know. Fuck it. We don't know. There's a, a thing from Jason Schreier here on the uh, Tech Raptor, or a tweet from Jason Schreier on the Tech Raptor article that says, you know, he asked Yoshinori Katase how many uh, games are going to be in the Final Fantasy VII remake. He said, I can't say yet because, quote, we don't know ourselves, end quote. Which, like I said, is troubling. I understand, yeah. you know, uh, Final Fantasy VII, when you sit down and think about it, has some head scratchers on its story, some, uh, you know, uh, plot holes or things that, you know, could have been fleshed out a lot more. But expanding it to the point where they don't even know how many games they're going to have in the in complete Final Fantasy series or Final Fantasy VII series or whatever you want to call this. It's just so weird. So we're back to my morbid curiosity paying off, I guess. Yeah. And uh, here's the other thing is, are they going to go full Kingdom Hearts where they start doing side stories as well? 
That would be weird. Because for Final Fantasy VII. Because fa- just because well, that story's already been told. Oh, well, well, Final Fantasy VII's already kind of done this, actually. Yeah, because they've had the the spinoff movie. No, 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 movies. no, not just that. There was a game that had Vincent in it that told his backstory. And yeah, it was a, it was a completely one, different one. I know what one, you're talking about. Or a different type of game. It was like a shooter. And now I'm happy to look it up. It was... Dirge of Cerberus, Final Fantasy VII. It's like a Devil May Cross shooter. So, yeah, they've already kind of have the precedent for this uh, down. Or the precedent. But, yeah, this makes me... Kind of concerned that they're going full Final Fantasy, uh, or Final Fantasy VII's going full Kingdom Hearts, where we're going to see, you know, the Bane the series go over the course of like twenty years, and there's going to be uh, sad stories. Okay, Vincent's going to get his game, then we'll have Sid Howland uh, get his adults only game because he's cussing so damn much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, plus, he's also smoking a cigarette the entire time. But that also made me kind of realize, so we're only going to get the initial four or five characters? Yeah. Um, and only like a bare introduction to the overall story. Assuming, you know, uh, uh, well, it's also, you know, what do they add? Yeah, that's an interesting that, question. I am not opposed to going back and retelling stories, changing things, all that jazz. As long as you don't go full I just George not Lucas. Sh- yeah, I just am not sure what they can do. Can do without like, I don't ruining mean that... the uh, uh, pacing of it. Yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't mean that in a sense of like, well, I don't know what they can do. Like that story's perfect. Like I think all stories have room for improvements in one way or another, you know. But I just don't know because they've told the story multiple editions to it. It's complete. So many people have an expectation of what the story is. I'm just not sure where they can go with it and tell a satisfying narrative. Because, I mean, you know, you can make shit up all day, but at the end of the day, it needs to be satisfying. And they well, have I would got say uh, it needs to be cohesive. Huge, yeah. They've got a huge, though, like sort of burden to get this right. Because Final Fantasy VII is the darling of the Final Fantasy series and also one of the most, I think, beloved games in history like of all time it's kind of the breakout title for jrpgs in the west i realized there were a couple fairly sizable ones before it but final fantasy 7 i think was the one that i kind of broke in the mainstream it's the one that i remember seeing commercials for first but also it was starting to get to the point where uh, actual gameplay graphics wasn't good enough uh, to show on commercials, but the cutscenes were that they were attention grabbing. Yeah, because that's the other thing is that Final Fantasy VII hit at like the perfect time that its cutscenes uh, were just stunning. So coming back to it now and seeing you know the progression of the character models from you know like twelve triangles or w- with Cloud like. 20 triangles because you have to include the spiky hair <laughs> yeah to modern almost film quality uh, CGI for playable characters is quite the elite huh? yeah 
But it also makes me wonder how are they going to you know do other games in this series quickly enough where they you know are still in kind of like the collective memory that people don't have to go back and look at okay what happened in the last game because they talked about how long the first uh, game was going to be they said what was it like two blue what or blu-rays yeah i think so that's not a uh, short game no i mean that's essentially a hundred nearly a hundred gigs worth of data i think i think a blu-ray like a double density blu-ray can hold around 50 gigs which you know a lot of that could be uncompressed audio or video or texture files or whatever but well, it also depends on what type, because Blu-ray disc capacities jumped to 100 gigs. Uh, oh, okay. uh, and this was 2010, so that, with triple uh, layering. So, uh, yeah, or sorry, a uh, single... Double-layer Blu-ray uh, double layer. 50. Yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of data there. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I'm not sure how interested I am in it. Again, not because I think it's going to be bad, or but like I said, it's a morbid curiosity, just because yeah. Final Fantasy VII was one of the first uh, games that I remember. Uh, uh, you know, the JRPGs coming out into the mainstream. Uh, I did play through Final Fantasy VII, uh, so yeah, I do have a little bit of nostalgia for it, but not nearly as much as some other people of my age. Yeah. But it's just that curiosity of what they're doing with it, especially since they're expanding the story so much. And, uh, you know, how much are they going to change things for modern sensibilities? Because, you know, there's an entire sequence where a cloud cross dresses. Well, how they have cloud looking now, he doesn't, you know, that's going to be weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I doubt it'll ever happen because Final Fantasy VIII is kind of like the redheaded stepchild of the Final Fantasy. I would games, say that's actually nine. Not, I mean, they there's a rumor that the reason that Final Fantasy VIII didn't get re-released in that like pack that they recently did because they lost the um, source code was because they lost the source code. I mean, I, th- I think more people like nine than eight. Well, eight. I don't has know. A, Maybe I'm just in a little bit of a bubble. Eight has a weird magic mechanic, like, but nine also goes back to the final uh, to the fantasy se- uh, setting. So the people that played seven and eight that got used to the either sci-fi or diesel punk, uh, for lack of a better term, for Final Fantasy seven. I mean, I guess it's still sci-fi, but yo, it's a lot more gritty. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's Star Wars versus Star Trek sci-fi flavors. Yeah, uh, going to Final Fantasy Nine and seeing castles and princesses and everything—it's uh, a little bit jarring. But also, Final Fantasy Nine was the last one on the PlayStation, which people that bought into the PlayStation too early pretty much uh, just waited for ten. Yeah, I like ten. 10 was okay. It has some, uh, gotten a bad rep because the voice acting was subpar. And some rather cringy scenes that really didn't translate all that well. And also some uh, scenes that the translators changed the meaning a fair bit. Which, uh, looking at some of the uh, people talking about the changes in translations, it's rather 
interesting just how much they changed Final Fantasy X to, to accommodate the lip flap, you know? The talking motion. Not to say that uh, the other Final Fantasies haven't had changes in translation as well, but uh, it had a certain meaning. I mean, Final Fantasy X is the first uh, phrase, uh, first time uh, one character declares outright love for another. I mean, it's implied yeah. in the others, but it's not stated because that's a cultural thing. Yeah. Uh, um, also, well, you mentioned Final Fantasy VIII real quick. Final Fantasy IX, the reason why it, uh, the recent remaster looks so shit, well, I should say the backgrounds compared to the character models, is that they lost the data files for the high-res versions of those. So they had the desampled ones. Supposedly, there's a AI remaster where they... You know, the AI uh, res- uh, uh, resolution change, uh, which I need to look into because that would be interesting to go back to. But yeah, uh, Square Enix hasn't been good about uh, keeping uh, their uh, data files, have they? <laughs> we'll head on over to Community Corner this week where we got uh, something from Jim. He mentioned this to us last night during Community Game Night, which we said we played Forza Horizon 4 for a couple hours, uh, and he asked us if we saw this thing called Hot Swap at E3, and we, neither of us did, so he, he sent us a link to their website through Discord, um, and it's a, an interesting controller concept, um, I don't know specifically if they're going for, this is like, uh, you know, this is a very gimmicky, it's a controller where that, and the works in conjunction with a game where that you and another player are swapping out different uh, buttons on the controller that each do different things. It's like a, a, a pirate ship game. And so, like, um, there's a button to reload your cannons, a button to shoot them, a button that uh, raises and lowers the sails, a button that steers. And you swap these back and forth with your partner because one of you is on the port side and the other is on the starboard side of the ship. And certain actions need to be performed <clears throat> on each side of the ship of the ship at a time. So you're swapping out these physical buttons between the controllers rapidly, trying to destroy incoming ships. So that idea for that game is is pretty neat looking, um, although it's more of just a test sort of proof of concept, if I'm understanding correctly. But the question is like, what are they intending to do with this besides just like a you know, admittedly a fun looking but still very gimmicky game? Yeah, the controls that they have look like they're more suited in a, I don't mean this in in a dismissive way, but for toddlers and young children, because uh, one is just a giant button, another one is just a giant, uh, yeah, uh, almost mad scientist-like switch. Uh, One is a steering wheel to steer the ship, and I'm blinking on what the other one is. The other one is like a, a crank uh, that raises uh, yeah, and lowers the sails, and you have to you have to turn it. So you know they feel uh, very tactile. So that, you know it feels like it's more meant for younger uh, kids, or perhaps depending on how they uh, build it, because everything yeah you know, uh, looks like it's yeah you know, three D printed. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of you know just beige color. You know, uh, maybe this could be a disability. Uh, ex- a, a, uh, accessible controller uh, eventually yeah the little blurb on their site says what if game controls were infinitely reconfigurable how would that change the way that we develop digital games 
This work explores a mechanism for hot-swapping physical inputs on the game controller. In this iteration, we showcase a prototype controller for a game that requires the player to reconfigure its inputs during gameplay. So, you know, this is a prototype, sort of a proof of concept, but I'm interested to see where this sort of thing could go for a number of reasons. I mean, like you just said, you know, potentially for disability or people with disabilities, there are some neat gameplay mechanics you could put into it. Um, You know, this thing that they're demoing, it does feel very gimmicky, but depending on the type of controller or what type of experience you're trying to have, it could potentially be part of a VR or an AR setup or something like that. Um, or you could just generally use it to develop maybe some <coughs> specific puzzle games or things that utilize these mechanics in particular, or, or this input in particular. It's one of the my favorite things about games is that so much about the experience comes from the control input. And, you know, we've seen this multiple times. Like, you take the exact same game, you play it on a PC, you play it on a console, you play it on a mobile device, like Fortnite or PUBG, for example. You get three distinctly different experiences, despite the game being exactly the same, because of differences native to the control input. So, it's an interesting idea. I just don't know, like outside of some disability stuff or a few gimmicky things like what they could do with it but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any applications you know lots of stuff that we don't realize could be big becomes big like i'm sure 20 years ago people thought that apple was crazy for making a smartphone but you know look at where we are today we had this conversation earlier about how billions of people around the world have smartphones and use them for everything Mm -hmm. but 20 years ago you wouldn't have known that yeah, and this reminds me of a gamepad that I used to have that could swap between Xbox and PlayStation uh, configurations. And I actually found the keyboard I was thinking of ages ago. Looks like it has some very mixed reviews and it's you know, been discontinued. But the Ergodex DX1 input system. I'm going to link you a Amazon page for it because there's not much here. Uh... Actually, hang on, eBay may have one. Yeah, it's old as hell, but it's the same basic idea, only it uh, it's all keyboard keys, but it's uh, completely custom uh, placement, and the keys are like switches or, uh, uh, or RFID tags or something that is picked up by the device that is... Uh, uh, registered as a proper key press. But the thing is that That's uh, it's one of those oddball things that I've seen over the years that I you know, remember. So, you know, th- this yeah. sort of, you know, swappable, completely custom uh, idea has been out there for quite a while. The DX1 came out in 2004, according to uh, one of the sites I just found. So, yeah, uh, it's been, you know, this uh, dream has been chased for a while. It's just uh, can they make it, you know, worthwhile is probably not the right, right way to put it, but make it consumer friendly because, you know, the DX1 was like a 200 some dollar keyboard in 2004, you know, back when nobody was spending that much on a keyboard, right? Especially when that had, yeah. that came with six keys. Well, some a big difference between this. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, this is the hot swap. Th- this is just, key- uh, yeah, computer key, uh, or keyboard keys instead of uh, having it where you could have you know, pretty much anything as long as you know it fits in the slot. 
as a more tactile feel to it. But I was just saying that, you know, I've seen stuff like this before, similar to it, or a similar basic idea of consumer reconfigurable keyboards or controllers. It's just, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I think Geek is one of the sites that keeps popping up for it, but that, that site's going all away before long. Yeah. I saw that. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was just saying that, you know, I've seen this before and it's a very interesting thing. Um, I hope that they, uh, that somebody's able to pull it off to the point where, you know, uh, seeing uh, games become uh, a more uh, broad option, you know, more, uh, different experiences, which I've realized I've, uh, nagged on, uh, VR for its experience focused gameplay even though that's slowly changing but having some sort of more accessible controller for people that you know can't quite use a keyboard and mouse gee i wonder if there's someone like that we've talked about in this very episode right yeah i wonder <laughs> um you know like this looks fun. Like I'm, I'm watching, rewatching the video. Like this does look like a very fun experience. Limited, but fun. But you know, as a proof of concept, uh, it's the neat. other thing I could see. Neat it idea as is a party game. Oh yeah, uh, because remember uh, Magic Maze that I showed you a while back. Imagine Magic yeah. Maze only. Uh, you know, you have different uh, people with the uh, different parts of the controller that swap it around. Where, you know, uh, sort of like how they have it there, only instead of two people, it's like three or four. With uh, different, uh, very basic movements, like one person's only to turn, uh, able to turn left, the other one's only able to turn right. One's only able to raise the sails, the other one drops them. That's how Magic Maze works, and it's uh, almost a chess-like zen thing going on when it's done well. Yeah. Of course, somebody's going to have to have a bell that, you know, is do something. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely yeah. could see. I, I like definitely this. could see it as a party game. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially if they develop you it know, beyond, uh, you know, a basic sailing game. To oh, can you imagine something like a? a this is going to sound dismissive, but a low rent Artemis, uh, bridge simulator. No, that would be fun. Like, well, well, well I was saying, of, you know, uh, it, it, it sounds like I'm dismissing it, saying low rent, but, you know, a, a very basic version. Right, right. But that could add to the charm of it as well. You know, how can you turn that into something that, that enhances the experience rather than just making it seem cheap? Um, But, yeah, I, I think that would be good. Especially if they have, it like, a smartphone app that's able to cast to a smart TV. Yeah. I wonder, you know, just looking at something like this does make me think of things like Pong. Like, and I'm not comparing this to Pong. I have no idea if this will evolve into, you know, its own branch of the gaming industry or change. You know, I don't know where it's going to go. But looking at this makes me think of Pong. Like, it's kind of silly. It's really basic in terms of, like, what it can do. But if it's the right spark, you never know where it could go. 
I like it. I like seeing creativity mm-hmm. and originality in pretty much any form that it takes. So I think overall this is, is a, a neat thing that's that's good. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm trying to imagine different ways to take it. I don't want to dismiss it immediately saying, oh, well, this is a kid thing just because of the package that they chose to show it off in. Right. Uh, so the I think Party Game would actually be a, a, a very interesting place to take it. Yeah. You know, if you could buy, you know, I don't know what the cost involved with it would be, but if you could buy, you know, 30 bucks, I mean, that's what a lot of, you know, board games cost is about 30 bucks. It'd be perfect for that. Especially if they do expansions where, you know, it's another piece that has like some uh, sort yeah. of other function. It's also, uh, I, I assume each part has... Uh, some sort of circuitry into it uh, saying what it is exactly, you know, because there has to be some sort of Yeah, because they're all using the same connector. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, it looks like a, uh, for lack of a better term, like a uh, an AMD processor connector. You know, all of them have a set of uh, pins on the bottom that uh, plug in, which does make me a little concerned about just uh, how durable it would be in the long run. Well, I, uh, mean, I mean, you could change you the know, connector to be more robust. Yeah, you could just use something more that's just contacts instead of yeah, pins. contacts. Uh, essentially, the uh, the yeah, Intel model. <laughs> uh, just make sure that you know they ha- they have the indent. Uh, uh, make it where you could quickly swap them. Have it like a, a rectangle or uh, you know, some sort of oblong shape so that it could only fit in one way. Especially if they especially yeah. if. Uh, it does look like they're trying to do more of a party game aspect to it of going back and forth. Yeah. They don't seem to be having any issues plugging them up or unplugging them. Yeah, but them. remember, this is also, you know, the developer video of it. That's so, true. Uh, so That's it's true. like d- judging a game by its E3 trailer. You know, this Very is true. the best possible conditions, uh, probably heavily edited. And also people that know what the hell they're doing with it. Now, give it to somebody that's never seen it before and uh, watch them uh, struggle. Just remember, as soon as you think uh, something is idiot-proof, the universe creates a better idiot. (laughs) Oh, don't I know it. (laughs) Uh, Know it? You make a career out of it. I do indeed. It's all right, though. I love all... Well, that's (coughs) not true. I was going to say, I love all of my idiots. That's not true. I love lots of them, though. At least a portion. Indeed. Indeed. Um, I don't. I don't really think I have anything else to yeah, add. I mean, it's. This, it looks very neat, it. and it does make me mm-hmm. wonder, you know, just what their goal for it is, because I do see several different options that they could use it for. But it's not what I think they could do with it. It's what they think they could do with it, and if they could do something feasible with it. Yeah. Or do they get beat to the punch by, you know, like Nintendo? Oh, can you imagine like yeah, the, that, uh, the Labo doing something like this? That would be interesting. So the cardboard fell apart. <laughs> well, see, they get the uh, fancy laminated cardboard. They get, the, so they get the poster board out. The thick poster board, you know? Yeah. Yo, they pay the extra dollar. The, the glossy <laughs> poster board. Um, 
yeah. Sweet. Well. Uh, well, uh, it, do you want well to I was going to say, if you wish to contribute to the uh, community corner, you could do so by sending it to vglpodcast at gmail.com. Actually, I didn't check the email this week. Did you? Nope. Whoops. I got caught up. Uh, uh, I, I promise uh, this is a rare occurrence that we don't check the email. <laughs> We check it every week and uh, yeah, laugh at all the uh, spam we get. No emails. Uh, no emails. Sure. Uh, no emails that aren't spam. Yeah, I mean, we do have the, the usual Japanese stuff in the... Oh, and we have a proposal. Ooh, a proposal. Be saving that one for later. Uh, but uh, if you wish to contribute to uh, this absolute madness, you can do so podcast at gmail.com. Tweet to us, VGL Podcast, on the Twitter, or you can also send it to our Discord, which there is a link on our page, VGLpodcast.podbean.com. Because it's a lot easier than trying to remember what the Discord actual link is. Indeed. Uh, I guess you could go ahead and hit him with those socials, Rach. Well, I was taking a sip of my tea, trying to keep my voice from completely dying, but... I have been caffeine rage, even though I am drinking caffeine-free tea. But that does make me angry. Uh, but you can find me over on the YouTubes, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR. And maybe someday you'll find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash caffeine underscore rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707. Or you can always send a friend request to me on Steam to JRthur4707. Chat with me about whatever, whenever. We're meant to be together. And if you wish to I'll be know here exactly be what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Vroom! Vroom. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom, vroom. That's the deal, my dear. There, I had to, I had to finish that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. Well, I didn't even uh, hear you, so it doesn't matter. But what does matter is, once again, our email is vglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming, related topics. Or you can just tweet them to vglpodcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have helped made this absolute madness happen. You can find out more at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Our patrons have also made our Podbeam account possible. VGL, uh, com was hosts the show notes, the RSS feed, links to all our content, or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod, and you can find his work at incomputate.com, and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See you next time. Bye bye